Welcome to Literary License Podcast Retrospective of Batman, the animated series, and the new adventures of Batman and Robin, where we explore four episodes from the classic 90s television show. Welcome to Lit Your License Podcast, and it's Batman Week. We'll be covering four episodes of Batman the Anime Series. Before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We've got Sean Stefan with us. Hello, Sean. Hello, everybody. we got Vicky Ray with us. Vicky, Hello, Vicky. Hey, guys. And I'm your host, Keith Shago. And before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to, starting with you, Sean. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Well, I've been, <laughs> since the last time, I've been working a lot. And right now, my source of relaxation has kind of been rocked. I, most people know that I'm a big pro wrestling fan and the world of pro wrestling is kind of going through a little bit of a transition period. I saw nice, that, which is a nice way yeah. of putting it rather than talk about everything that happened. I'll just say this Vince McMahon is gone and that makes me a very what the happy hell happened in a nutshell. I'm so confused. The short version without getting into the legal documents that would probably right. get us thrown off the air in most uh, respectable outlets. Probably. He met a woman by the name of Janelle Grant, Mm -hmm. who was down on her luck, putting her family through a nursing home, picked her up, started a relationship with her, brought her into the company, put her on the company payroll, had a sexual relationship with her, started using, pimping her out to other employees, used used her as a bargaining chip to hire a certain former UFC champion back to the promotion and through process of elimination that narrows it down to only one individual, Brock Lesnar. He's not named in the lawsuit, but everyone has kind of deduced it's him. And also as well had graphic forced. he sexually assaulted and raped this girl. There is now a federal sex trafficking suit and investigation. There goes the wrestling world. Well, here's the thing. This all happened before he sold. This all happened. The company has recently before been purchased. Before he sold? Before he sold. Now, here's the interesting uh. thing. Pro wrestling is going is more interesting than an episode of Secession, if you are a fan yeah. of the business and kind of know what's going on. The short version, Stephanie McMahon was being groomed to be the successor to Vince. She is his daughter. Right. She is married to the head of creative, Paul Triple H Levesque. The, for, for, uh, the wrestler Triple H, formal, who's now retired, he's now taking an executive role and he's the head of creative. Vince is kind of the fi- was the final say in the creative world. Vince is a crazy old billionaire who is very lost in his ways and was doing things against the fans, uh, just like, fuck you, I know what you want better than I do, and was doing right. a lot of things to harm his business. When all this stuff started to come out, he was kind of forced into retirement. Now, it, all the details went gone, gone out, but basically it came out that he was using corporate funds to pay off these NDAs to the tune of like $12.5 million. So he was forced out of his company. He still maintained the majority shares, but he was forced out of the, of the CEO role. Fast forward a year, everybody is happy. The, the morale is up. The ratings are up. The revenue is up. Things are going good. All of a sudden, Vince forces his way back into the company and says, yeah. no, I'm gonna, I'm selling the company, and we're going to sell it to Ari Emanuel, Mark Shapiro, and Endeavor. Oh. 
we're going to merge it with we're going to merge it with the UFC and create this new company called TKO. I'm going to oh, maintain it's... I'm I'm going to have a seat on the board and I'm going to maintain an executive chair. How position. did I not know any of this was going on? This was <laughs> at that point, a lot of executives including Stephanie resigned from the company. So basically, she he forced her back out of the company. She kind of wow. allowed a lot of people think that all dirty stuff was linked together. Sometimes, you know, well, it's a it's a carny uh, business. The problem the is when they forced him out of the company, he still had a high percentage of shares. That's and the enough problem right there. That and when they yes. forced him out of the company or made him resign, yeah, he they should have legally asked him to replant to give back his shares yes, or, yeah. or or bought back his shares at a. That would have been the decent thing. From the from the get-go, Ari Emanuel admitted in legal documents and financial filings that they saw Vince as a risk. As soon as they and because because of this and because of future litigation. So they knew damn well something was coming. They didn't may not know to what extent, but they knew something was coming. Eventually, fast forward one year, Vince is now out of the company because all the explicit details have since come out. The company has been named in the suit. The man, the gentleman that has named been named alongside him, John Laurinaitis, one of his lieutenants, has since been exiled from the company. He's retired, and he's now like, no, Vince was using me as his own sexual action figure for his own demented will. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. he's flipping on him and saying like, no, we knew about this stuff. We covered up a rape. We did all this stuff, and like, and so all this shit is starting to crumble. Meanwhile, at the same time, they're bringing in the Rock. To sit on the board of directors, they've oh, given God, the like anybody cares what he has to say after. Well, a the, while. well that's the thing. About, it's, but, it's, but, but you, yeah. don't, you don't understand. It's a bit like, well, you know, we discussed. The Rock uh, don't have the stamina and the pull that he. No, uses. no, no. You gotta, you gotta look thing. at this. You gotta look at this way. I'll, I'll go back to an episode of Ted. Basically, when they're like, when he said, "I saw the movie alive," and and who would you eat first? Um, would it be Tom Hanks or? Diane Keaton. And the yeah. thing is, like, what are they doing on the plane? Well, what we need to do, they're they're great big Hollywood actors. And because we they would they need to have this, they need to give this show of Hollywood to get the public support on board. So the rock will be used as a figurehead to get the public support back on board. But the public support ain't coming for the rock because everybody hates his guts right now because of Hawaii and Oprah. That is well, not going to be a very good move completely. He's, he's, the, he's the highest. He's the highest pro. He is the highest um, profile wrestling for a you mass see. market, a mass mark, a, a mass world market. You Everyone see. knows who The Rock is. I will say this right. I will say this right now. So as far as The Rock goes, he right now is on the downturn of his career. He talked all that shit about Vin Diesel and had to be weaseled back back way into the franchise. Black Adam, he, the fate of the the future of the DC universe did not change. He is not the face of the DC universe. James Gunn is now in charge, who is friends with Vin Diesel, so his power play to move into Warner Brothers failed. Wrestling has always been a fallback position for him that he could always go back to. It's, it's literally in his blood, and right. for years they've been kind of casually teasing in the background the biggest current star in wrestling rock's cousin roman reigns and having a match with the rock where the rock would pass the torch the same way hogan did to him 20 or 15 20 back years ago day, yeah back in, so that that's what they've been building to there's been one problem with that there's a gentleman by the name of cody rhodes the son of the son of the plumber dusty Rhodes. <laughs> yeah the, the american dream and Cody yeah. Rhodes for the last two years has been the face of WWE. He, f he left the company to form AEW, the competing company. 
he came back to the promotion with one goal in mind to win the championship that his yeah. father never could. That that's his personal story that he wants to uh, fulfill. He went, he, he had yeah, an opportunity. You homework, Sean. But... I'm a wrestling fan. I'm a, I'm a wrestling fan. And <laughs> oh honestly, my, this is your walking encyclopedia. This story. Well, this story is fascinating to me because it's, the way that the media, because Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro are now involved with WWE, it's manipulating the entertainment media as well to, to go around it. So it's now becoming an entertainment story. The Rock comes back to wrestling thinking that he's going to be the big superstar and the fans are rejecting him because, no, we've been watching Cody for the last two years and oh, we want to see Cody, the guy that we've invested our time and money in, be the be the top face guy. We don't care about you getting some f- fucking, you know, Nepo wow. fame run with with your cousin. And so they're fl- like casual fans are like yeah we want to see the rock but the ones that have invested their time they're like no fuck you rock rocky sucks and they're taking it back to 1996 it's fucking hilarious to watch because it's so dramatic too i'm trying to wonder how much of this is real and how much of this is i think i think that they realized oh shit maybe we fucked up let's go with it which would never happen under vince so that's the reason why I'm like to tie it all back to the original thing. Right, right, right. right that's right. why it's fun. That's why it's fun to be a wrestling fan again because I think that they got the crazy old man out of there, and they got people who actually know what they're doing in It'd terms of nice. using the yeah, using they, the media. Did you think it was kind of taking a nosedive though? It was boring oh. me a little bit. Wasn't it starting to get a little like? Eh. Well, the rest the wrestling was, and that's the reason why they have this competing brand uh, that Warner Brothers is working with AEW. Where they, I mean, they're not drawing the same numbers, and they're actually on a little bit of a downturn they won't for a while. But they got, but they got the money, they got the capital, they do have star power, and they have the platform in, in TNT and TBS that if they do resign with them. They could they could still be a player in the game and at least hang in there and give people a chance to work. And they formed out of the fact that the business was getting stale. As soon as Vince started like losing his power and losing his stroke, that's when the business started getting interesting again. So it's it's really turning around and it's becoming a fascinating time. But there's this dark cloud ha- hanging over it with what else is going to be uncovered because of all this dark shit about Vince that was discovered. And that's just one person when we know he signed five NDAs and four of them may not be valid anymore. So it's one of those things. What else is going to come out? Who knew what, how bad is the snowball going to tumble down the hill? How big is it going to get before it smashes into the building and just wrecks the whole thing? So it it, it is, it just sounds like a normal, I hate to say it, a normal person ranks the richest story. Yeah. And then, then, and then the come down of them, you know, whether you're looking at Howard Hughes or Weinstein or all the other ones, it seems to be like, it all seems to be fitting in that. They've been working on a Netflix documentary for him for That's over okay. three years. <laughs> and, and at this I, point it has more re endings than return of the King. It's, it's, it's so ridiculous. Fuck. Every time, every time they think of that, fuck, we gotta go back again. Fuck. So yeah. It's, it I mean, it has at least six endings. I understand. I understand the rock to Cody, the Cody thing. I mean, Cody is like the, is, is, well, it's the all American rags, the riches gathering it back. His father's thing. I mean, basically it is basically Rocky six. Yeah. Well, the whole yeah, storyline is where the rock, though he's very, he's, he was very, very popular. And whether you d- agree with stuff that he said or not, he does have a high profile within no, normal people who have known nothing about wrestling. Exactly. But 
for wrestling fans, it's almost like The Rock turned his back for a Hollywood career. So him coming back is him taking a step down. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where that I mean that's where that that economy. To be perfectly honest, where where the business is and where Rock's career is, Rock needs WWE more than WWE needs the Rock. And I think Precisely. the fans and the fans. But I think WWE it. were thinking basically is that he is such a high profile unknown around the world. Yes. Oh yeah. No. I mean, it's the thing. It's a smart corporate move. It's a smart corporate move. Well, another thing is wrestling is only an American sport. If you go to other places around the world, they know about it, but they don't really indulge it. It's a bit like a bit, a bit like American baseball. You I'd say anywhere, Jap- they know Japan, about American baseball, but they're not indulging. Japan, Japan, Germany, and the UK. It seems like are the only other real like hot hot spots. Japan especially. But yeah, it's it's maybe look at but if you look at the rock as far as him being known, he's known in every single country around the world only because of, of his career, whether they can't the Jumanji films or whatnot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mexico, of course. Well, I, can, Mexico, I can understand what they why they did that, but yeah. they should probably also look at the market at which they're working with that that situation I, there. That's the I problem think, with today's companies. They do not know their consumer anymore i, I think so that's it i think they just figured hey we'll plug in the rock and everyone will love it going on well so. i think i think the reason is that a lot of times they're running before they learn to walk and the thing is well the rock <laughs> so we bring the rock on board this way it will make our brand global yeah not realizing that probably not really because i mean it's, yeah. it's rare that Oh, well, let's put it this way. How many people became a huge boxing fan who are Mickey Rourke fans? Not a lot. Not a lot. No. Yeah, no. So, so they need to look at that. Now, the only problem with the new WWE that I can see is with the new blood coming in. What right. made WWE work is basically it was a very gangster type of stuff that was going on behind the scenes. And it was very rough and ready. There's this dirtiness going on behind it. What we might get now is a more of a sanitized, clean version of it, which could actually affect it as well. It will be interesting to see how that goes, because sometimes when new blood comes in, they sanitize it and make it so safe for the world that sometimes the world gets bored and turns their back. So that could happen as well. Possibly. So. The only thing I'll, I will say about that is they are owned by the same company that owns UFC now. And they seem to let Dan, Dana White do whatever the hell he wants, say whatever the hell he wants. They let his fighters say whatever the hell they want. And I think he had to, I think, think he had to, yeah. I think he had to do that uh, because yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the thing is, the thing about wrestling anyway, when I was never a huge, I never watched wrestling yeah. when I was growing up. I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan, but my, my half brothers were really into it. Just simple point that you go over and visit and they try to like slam dunk you. <laughs> you know, cause they're really, they're really into it. And from what I, you know, and on Saturdays it used to be on. And if I was home and they were watching it, you know, I watched bits and pieces of it, but it's all, it's like court, whether it's OJ Simpson card or like that, but it's all show. Yeah. It's all the show. And sometimes you need that. You need that conflicting darkness then and to do the side to, so that way you have like the good person and the horrible person and everyone boos the horrible person and everyone's yay for the, the person and you and sometimes it's important to have that horrible person say really nasty horrible stupid stuff so you can hate them even more to help get into the fringe of the fight situation yeah well, the, you need the dichotomy between the good and evil and and the stories are usually the most fun so i i i, I love it but it's it's it feels like we're entering a special time. 
that hasn't been around in maybe 20 years or so. So I, I, I 25 years, I uh, look forward to it. So. Mm. I'm looking forward to see what happens there, actually. I am too. And but other than that, yeah. In three years' time, there'll be an Oscar winning movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you never know. Uh, honestly, the Vince McMahon biopic, whenever it comes out, will be a fascinating one to watch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, other than that, yeah, everything is factored that allegedly. Yeah, it's all allegedly at the moment. It is allegedly, but I will say this: when I read the uh, the the person who's representing the the accuser, she is a former federal judge. And she included text messages in the lawsuit. So if so, if it's one of those things, like if you are bringing that hard proof in your indictment, you got something. And even if ninety percent of the allegations are false, those text ma- messages are so damning, he would be shaken out of any uh, any respectable organization. There's no way around it. He's it's just uh, it's just a, I control who you fuck. I think was the one quote that I will say that I'm like, yeah. But like I said, there's federal. There's a lot of drugs involved as well. It sounds like there's there's there, a drug money somewhere hiding behind all this as well. Possibly, Vince. I mean, he's just a crazy billionaire with you know. There's a lot, lot of bones there, and it, you could go. I mean, there's been allegations over the years. One recently came out about a former employee who became a Playboy model, who spurred his advances. The problem is he's vindictive on his show. He writes his problems into the show. So uh, there's clips that they're, that people are pulling out. Like, this is what allegedly happened after this person spurred his advances. He gets like very violently close to the woman, throwing his coffee cup at her, and uh, breaking the girl down to tears. I'm like, this is just a model who's hired because the the woman, the other guy that's accused said, Bring me women I that I like. He thumbed through lingerie books to find talent. Not re- the wrestling independent circus, not fitness models, not people who have athletic training that could possibly do it. No, we're going to find you know lingerie models and just bring them in. And, and maybe they'll dra- wrestle, maybe they won't. It doesn't matter. We're just going to have them stripped down into their skibbies anyway. You know, the, and that was what wrestling was back in those days. It doesn't really surprise me because I recent, I mean, not recently, but earlier in the year, earlier last year, I watched the Bob, the Bill Cosby yeah. documentary, which was actually filmed and produced by his son, which still shows Bill Cosby is a bad person. But everything that he was doing, he had it in a stand up. Every, it's on his records. Oh, and yeah. Drugging and stuff like And, you know, and the thing is that, I think there is some truth that basically if you just throw it out there like you don't care, no one's going to think what you're doing is what you're saying is real. That's the thing. I mean, like, you just keep saying it to show the world who you are. And he did it in such a way that it's just such an over the top character. He's just so flamboyant, all that. In real life, everyone here is always a compulsive neat freak. He fires people who sneeze. You know, he just he, or, he, you know, he doesn't respect he doesn't respect sneezing because it shows weakness. You know, it's just that crazy billionaire eccentricities that you hear. But that's what we've always heard about him as wrestling fans. And it turns out he's like a real freak. (laughs) A lot lot worse than the rumors. A lot worse than the rumors. Yeah. So other than that, yeah, I I think that that's kind of been consuming everything because I just can't keep my eyes off this whole story. I'm just like, if I'm part of me thinks, is this a distraction play? Bringing in The Rock? doing all this stuff to keep your mind off of the Vince thing or how long is this Vince thing going to last? But yeah, 
Well, I understand. It's, it's the a rock. fascinating. I understand, the, I understand the rock situation. I, I I understand the ideology about it because yeah, I, I said before I'm not a huge wrestling fan, but I know who the Rock is. You know yeah. what I mean? Everyone so, does. Everyone does. So that I can under, I can understand that. But if you're a wrestling fan, it's kind of a bit like you know bringing Taylor Swift into the you know female soccer team. You know what I mean? Because it's like. She, well, you know, she she may never had it, but you know, just because she's known for this doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to flock to her to see to do or see this, as we've seen with many other celebrities who have tried their hands at other stuff, and their public doesn't necessarily travel over with them. Yeah, that's the one so, thing. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, I think you have to be a, like a really you know soccer hard you know soccer hard fan for anyone and. And let's face it, people who are that really into who, whatever celebrity that is, they're very far in between. There's not a lot of people who will travel, follow a celebrity wherever they go, you know? Yeah. It is weird, though, watching all the celebrity love of wrestling and all the people who have begun to dabble in it. Award winners. The guy from played Richard Jewell, Paul Walter Hauser, I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he has openly talked about it. He wants to play... Uh, Ric Flair's number one guy, Arn Anderson, in a movie. He's he's in the Cobra Kai show. He's wrestling his first match. When he won the Golden Globe, he shouted out his opponent in his, in his award speech. And he's done numerous things in the wrestling world, dabbling. So it'll, it's going to get to the point where wrestling will become his main job and acting will become his his uh, moonlighting gig. And it's, it's just, people are having, you know, I think, I don't know if it was the wrestler that brought respectability to the uh, to Hollywood made people realize oh shit you know these guys are actually there's more to it than just you know the stuff that they're doing and there's actual storytelling the scene uh, the, the one the one I always look at it the one scene in Glow I forget what uh, it was like one of the first Glow. episodes yeah. I love Glow so much but when the soap opera actress goes there goes to the match for the first time and it dawns on her holy shit I'm watching a soap opera and she immediately gets into it I'm like. Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, if, if you just look past the guys in underwear and the women in the skimpy in the skibbies beating each other up and getting all angry and, sh- and arguing with the fans, and you actually get down to the nitty gritty, it's a soap opera, one that you can get invested in if you wanted to and take your mind off the real world. That's the way well, I always look at it. A lot of soap opera going on behind the scenes as well, now. <laughs> and to some people, that's the more interesting far, part of it. So, <laughs> well, how did the Zac Efron movie do? Did that do quite well? Yeah, it didn't do nearly as well as I thought. And everyone who's seen it loves it. People say it's got a lot of heart. That his relationship with the brothers is kind yeah. of the major strong point that drags it through. But yeah, it just didn't do that well. Okay. So so. Oh, well, that's something to be looking forward to. So let's keep our eye on all eyes are on the wrestling world. Which, to be honest, probably a lot better than having um what's going on politically around the world at the moment. So at least this one's more interesting. I tell people all the time, I watch it because I don't like to think about what's going on. And I don't have to. I could just get invested in this. It's a ma- meaningless storyline. Maybe maybe have some laughs. Maybe get angry. And then I move on with my life. Yeah. Well, and the good thing about stories like this is that you can come invested in it and watch it, but in no way it's going to touch your life. The politics part of it sometimes can, 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 comes too close to your own life. That becomes a bit too uncomfortable. So exactly. at least it's like entertain, real life entertainment. So. Indeed. <laughs> so, well, it looks like we've lost Vicky and her Wi-Fi. So yeah, that's not that's, good. So 
But so what I've been up to recently is I watched Ted, the new TV series. And as Sean was saying, it's fantastic. I highly recommend it to everyone. I've been watching True Detective with Jodie Foster. It's good to see Jodie Foster back. I love Jodie Foster. I just saw her in a preview for a movie with her and Annette Bening. Annette Bening is like, I forget the name of it, but Annette Bening swims. She's like uh, swimming a race across like the ocean or something like that. I've, okay. It looked, it, looked, it looked interesting, but... Without Warren, ba- without Warren Beatty. Without Warren Beatty. He let he her, let her <laughs> he, You know, he was trying to maintain the, or retain the Dick Tracy rights. So, you know, she's ah, fine. You get, you keep that. I'll go do something with Jody. And it's, it yeah. seemed like it was a good movie. Well, oh, it's the one. She's nominated Benning, for an Oscar. I will say, she's, she's nominated for an Oscar for it. What am I saying? An Epping, she's nominated. It's one of the. Well, she's, she's the best always, actress nominee. She's always been excellent. But the thing is that she was excellent. Then she got with Warren Beatty, and then we never saw her again. This is like, <laughs> it's like, and I don't, I mean, it's a bit like, well, it's a bit like Brad Pitt and Angelia Jolie. It's like Angelia Jolie was around all the time. And then when her, when they got, when she got married to Brad Pitt, it's kind of like her movie career took a, went to kind of the backseat. Well, she did go around. She was doing all the philanthropy. Yeah, she was doing all the philanthropy. She was adopting. She she became an ambassador to the UN, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, she was, but her movie career kind of just kind of stalled. I mean, there's so many other people. Rita Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Rita, I mean, Rita, I mean, when you're she she's maintaining the Playtone empire at that point. So you don't have you don't have to work, I guess. At that but point. her but her she's given some great children actors. I mean, Colin Hanks is freaking fantastic. We won't, we won't mention Chet, but yes, Colin is fantastic. Colin is abs- Colin. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But what else have I seen? I saw a movie on Shutter called Destroy Our Na- Destroy All Neighbors, which is oh, with Jonah, with, with Jonah Ray, host of MST3K, yes. Yeah, and directed and written by Alex Winter. Oh, yeah, the, the great Bill S. Preston Esquire. It reminds me of a lot of uh, back in the early 90s he did a film with keanu reeves where they're all in a lot of makeup and i can't remember freaks, freaks. It's, it has that feel to it oh uh, if it has the okay i will definitely love this movie i love okay. freaks i yes. love you like freaks. freaks i think you'll like the movie then so keanu reeves is ortiz the goat boy or the the yeah ortiz the dog boy ortiz, the, the dog boy and uh mr t is the bearded lady it has that feel to it so <laughs> Okay. I love that. It's, it's such a manic, manic feel to that movie. So, yeah. Okay. And this movie has that same manic feel. So, and then I watched a, a Spanish horror film on Shutter called The Passenger, which is basically about these, this bus driver and he brings the, these women onto his bus and they're going to cross and they hit somebody and it kind of all goes off from there into this weird sci fi horror gore thing. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. It's, I mean, it, I don't know about European horror films, but I always quite liked the way that they're the way that they portray themselves. And there's, there's such, it just feels like, and I think if Americans did it, it would just feel run of the mill. But because it's Spanish, it doesn't feel run of the mill. So I don't know. I don't know if just me me being an egotist about European filming, or just me just, or or I do, or it is better. So I'm not quite sure. But did I did really enjoy it, and. But other than that, moving, I move on Thursday. So I'll be in Dallas. Our next episode will be be in Dallas. And so dealing with that and custom forms for the cat and custom forms for the shipping and government forms for this and insurance forms for that. 
So yeah, so it's turning into quite an expensive affair and dealing with government bodies <laughs> uh, hasn't been the best. All the joys of American democracy at work, yeah, and beer are better. Bureaucracy at the my <laughs> and you know filling out the visa sure. form for my other half, and that gets lost. And then they said they you know they can't do an interview until the to June, where you know his and so I had to get an external company to come in and fight this. And now he's got an interview on Tuesday. I hope we'll see how that all goes. So he'll either be with me or he won't. He'll be a month after me, but we'll see how all that goes. So a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And how do I deal with the stress? I've been playing fallout four and (laughs) along the way, which helps me feel a whole lot better. So that's good. I got my little fallout little statuettes and all you know that I had on my little <laughs> I got my house <laughs> I built my house and everything. So yeah. So I'm wasting I'm wasting my life away doing that at the moment until the new Tomb Raider that comes out on Monday. It's out on Monday. Ah, all right. I might have to check that out. Might have that out. It's cheap. I mean Xbox is selling it for 20 quid for all the three remasters. Oh, yeah, it's the remastered version of the original three. Yeah, and Switch is doing it for 23, 24. So I imagine a computerized version of the, the computer version is going to be somewhere between those two. Those yeah. between the two. I will check it out. I absolutely will. 20 quid, three games remastered. You can't, I mean, you can't, I mean, I think what, I think what, I think what we're going to find is what we found with Crash Bandicoot, that because they're a game of the nineties, it's probably going to be bloody difficult. <laughs> oh my God. I suck at all these older games now. Whenever I get the remasters, I'm like, oh yeah. Why, why am I playing this? I was horrible back then. I'm horrible now. I, I Of the Grand Theft Auto remastered trilogy, I beat San Andreas. First time I ever did that. And Vice City, I got near the end. Further than I ever did when I played it originally. And Grand Theft Auto 3, I got to the same place I did originally, and I just gave up. So, yeah, it's sometimes the remasters are good, and sometimes you just are reminded how horrible you are. I think San Andreas, I finished. Vice City, I didn't. I got to that big Scarface ending. Yeah. yeah the last one. <laughs> that's where I was got stuck in. I always got killed in the, in the mansion. And then the, I can't remember the third one. I I think, no, I think I finished the third one. Though I had, I put it away and tried, did played other games and then came back to it. And then played other games and came back to it. And somewhere on the fifth or sixth play, coming back to it, that's when I was able to finish yeah. it. Yeah. I was just getting frustrated. The point where it's like you're almost throwing things at the TV, yeah. and you and you blame and you blame in the game, fucking game, fucking game. When you actually it's just you. It's <laughs> part of the reason. I'm, I'm like thinking maybe, eh, maybe a year later, I'll jump back into it again. Or I'll give it another shot. Yeah, I will say that works. I will say this: I, one movie recommendation I forgot to mention. I a completely blind Criterion buy. I was at Barnes and Noble. I picked it up off the shelf. Just thought it looked good. Raised to Kill. Seijun Suzuki. It's a Seijun, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Seijun Suzuki. It's a mafia or a Yakuza movie. A hitman who is obsessed with sniffing rice. Apparently that's like his aphrodisiac. He gets very turned on by sniffing by the smell of boiling rice. He botches a hit, and the whole world's his whole world starts crumbling down around him. It's it's a tale that's been told many, many times, but this one, there's something about it. I was just hypnotic. It was made in 1967, it's in black and white. Okay. I highly re- recommend this one. I, it's just weird and out there, and I think it said it was at, nearing the end of the Japanese pop art movement that was going on around then. I, th- I think that's what it was. they were describing it as. 
but a completely random blind buy picked it up and fell in love with it. So highly recommend Raised to Kill if you if you get a chance. I picked up on Blu-ray the complete Twilight Zone, the original on Blu-ray, and the uh, Nights, the complete original, because. When I go to Dallas, I'm shipping that. I'm putting that in my suitcase with me. Those two box sets, because my shipment is going to take six to eight weeks to arrive, so I won't have any discs. So I figured they'll keep me going. <laughs> That'll help. That will help, indeed. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, man, that's a long time. And that my Friday the Thirteenth box set. That that's in the luggage with me now as well. <laughs> I always have to go back to Friday the Thirteenth, even though they're probably it's all a- on Paramount Plus streaming service now. Yeah, well, at least the first eight. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. They're starting to sell off everything. All the streaming services. They got rid of all the original Star Trek films. They're now on HBO. Well, you know, another thing I realize now is that Batman the Animated Series is now all available to stream on Netflix and Amazon Prime now as part of your membership. So, I wonder if they got the order right for them. The Amazon Prime, yes. And also in the Netflix. Because I, the reason why I know that is because I had to... Well... I accidentally packed the Batman into the box set. box. So that's already that's all that's in my what is it? 15 boxes of discs. Box discs. <laughs> I got I realized I got over 3000 DVDs on my a lot of stuff. It's going to be a long uh, stages bringing it over in Yeah. Stages. So saying that be interesting when the new places where I find find room for this. But 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 I did pack the Batman, so I actually had to go through. So I thought I was going to have to buy these four episodes. But I went out. I went to Netflix, and Netflix ends at a certain point because the rest of them are coming later. So the ones that were on our block are not in there yet. So I went to Amazon Prime and said, "Oh, buy the four episodes for for the show," mm-hmm. and the, everything's there. So I was like, oh, "Nice, yes." So I didn't end up buying it. And that's a segue to our Batman the Animated Series. We'll be covering the Avatar, which is a mythical Egyptian scroll donated to the Gotham Museum by Bruce Wayne. It's stolen by Raul Gaul, forcing Batman and his lover Tal El Gaul to join forces and prevent the power-mad Raul El Gaul from unlocking the scroll's secrets of life and death. Their quest takes them to a hidden temple deep beneath the Egyptian desert. Then the Dark Knight is forced into a terrifying battle with an ancient Egyptian sorceress who seeks to destroy them all. So, Sean, what are your thoughts of Avatar? Avatar was an interesting one. You're basically, it's your Rachel Ghoul trying to find an ancient scroll that gives him directions to a mummy that is bathing in a Lazarus pit, essentially. You get to further continue the story of Talia and Bruce. You get to see them interact a lot more, which I, you know, there's something about Talia and Bruce. Whenever I see them together on screen, there's, I start, it gives me a warm feeling because I start thinking, I'm like, this could be an alternate life for Bruce more so than with, more so than with Catwoman. Because with Catwoman, there's this mischievous side. It's, there's always a, he, he falls for these women that are, 
always going to be difficult, always going to be problems, <laughs> problems with the law, problems for him, problems with a lot of things. But he likes the drama. He, he likes the drama. <laughs> he, he's addicted to the drama. But more so with Talia, you feel like there's stability. Whereas, like, it, this is who I would marry. Talia with her, though, doesn't he? He does. And that's yeah. the, and that's part of the reason why it feels more so than with Catwoman. Only recently in the comic book series that they finally commit to having possible the, the the comic. I never read into the series. I haven't read the, the modern series. The famous image of Batman and the Catwoman on the rooftop as he proposes to her. So, so it, it, they have kind of explored that aspect. But with Talia, there's a more maturity. There, there's much more maturity whereas to their relationship. And I always, and I start thinking, I'm like, okay, what would happen? Would they, would it be like Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Would it be like two, two ninja spies living together, constantly fighting off evil? Would it be, mm-hmm. could, can't escape their life together? Could you explore where it would be? What would Damien's life be like if at that point, if, if they had this life together, that could be a nice little Elseworld story. Like what if? They came together and they actually did raise a family, you know, Uncle Raish and trying to, you know, constantly trying or Grandpa Raish constantly trying to, you know, get his hooks into Damien while he's early. You could do a little small world, a smallville type of relationship with them and see what they both have daddy issues. They both got the daddy issues and and they all everyone's got the daddy issues in this family. You got so it would be it would be an interesting way to explore it. Probably wouldn't last more than just like eh, like a six episode thing. It's like, all right, what would happen? But you know, I I just I like their relationship together. And then it, you, when you finally get to the end, this was one of the few episodes I watched with Joe because Joe has been working on the show on Joe Bob, so he didn't get a chance to watch all of them. But when he watched uh, this one with me, he's just like, ah, you know, this has something. If this was just a straight up Universal monster movie, I'd be a, a lot more down for it. And I, and I think and I get what he's saying, but. There's something about the twist that, like, okay, because I was thinking, I'm like, all right, he's he's going after the mummy because he's it's a form of immortality. Usually, whenever there's the mummies, it's it's a quest for immortality, and then you find out that the mummy is bathing in a, in a Lazarus pit. All right, suddenly this suddenly all makes sense. We're gonna get at the end of it, though. I mean, uh, it ends in the exact same way. Talia cannot betray her father. Not gonna turn her back on her, and just kind of rides off in the sunset with him. Sorry, beloved. There's a, there's a mutual understanding, like, no, you're going to do this. I won't tie you up. I won't, I'm just going to leave you out here without the horse. We're not going to try to kill you. We're not going to fight. And Batman quietly resigns himself. Well, I'll let you go. It's fine. I'll catch you later. Doesn't say it, but you know it's implied. And it's, and it's just one of those things where the relationship continues and will continue to, uh, to flourish throughout. So I, I don't know. I, I like it a lot. I mean, I think there's some realism behind the relationship anyway, because the thing is, psychologically speaking, when a female or a woman has a relationship with a guy and the family's not too keen on that guy, the woman nine times out of 10 will side with the family, even though the family could be wrong. So I think, you know, to bring this to the series, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, we're talking generally speaking out here, people. So, you know, so if, if you're, you know, this has worked different for you, you might, you know, gay for you. But, um, but, in, but generally speaking, I mean, th- this is known as a thing where, and there's also the daddy's girl syndrome that plays through here where daddy's always right. And, you know, and then normally they, you know, generally speaking, psychologically is that, you know, 
they say a, a woman or a girl is always looking for someone to emulate her father when they get married. And Bruce is a lot like, you know, they're kind of two sides of the same coin, really, Rogal. And well, they're in an. Their initial introduction in the series was, I'm going to put these tri- put you through these trials so that you can marry my daughter, so that you can take over my empire. It's he's always she's always seen him as worthy and and worthy of her love. It's just been forced upon both of them in such an awkward way that it'll it'll never meant to, it'll never be. But it is just you know it's a fascinating relationship between those two. Well, Ogal and Batman are fighting for the same thing, but just in very, very different ways. One through genocide and one through using fear and the law. So, yeah, it's very different, very different Uh, ways. Different ways, but for world peace, really. But but then again, also, if both of them should achieve that one, you know, in their different ways, let's say one of them does achieve that. There's, they would be very unhappy once they achieve that goal anyway. But Sometimes I thing. wonder if Batman keeps letting these people out of Arkham just so he has something to do. <laughs> because without them, you can't have him. What would, is that, so is Batman Alexander weeping for he has no world that's left to conquer at that point? Or is it just, and he needs to have them come out? Or is, because I, I don't know. I, I feel like Batman could retire batman could he'd be a miserable man but he could retire i think that he could step down if because he's done it before he stepped away from the spotlight and it, it something needs to happen a, a death a loss of a robin a death of a you know a death of an alfred something he can't control that where he would force himself out he'd be miserable he'd hate himself but i see himself stepping away i could see him stepping away from it all at least temporarily. Well, he does kind of step away from it when we get to Batman Beyond. So yeah, absolutely. And we kind of get the retired old frail. Um, yeah, keep- who turn it kind of turns into an Albert kind of character. <laughs> well, you can you can only get so far before you can't go hella skiing anymore. It's just that simple. Well, yeah. <laughs> I imagine. I mean, I imagine that when the decay of Bruce Wayne comes, that's going to come rapidly because I can't see how his body's going to be in a great shape. I mean, yeah, the knees, the back, you're, you're, all the stuff that you're taking, you're going to be basically a bionic man. I think the most accurate depiction is Kevin Conroy in that one episode when they did the Crisis on Infinite Earth on CW. He's finally in live action as Bruce Wayne. He's wearing the full Superman-style mech suit. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much what Bruce Wayne would be like at this point. All I can attribute to is I played hockey from ninth grade to 12th in school. And I can promise you my knees haven't been the same since. So, <laughs> yeah, you, you feel it a lot more. You feel it, especially as I'm, I'm getting older. I'm feeling I have it too much. Oh, I have arthritis because of this. So I was like, yeah,
Our next episode is House and Garden. Not only has Poison Ivy been released from Arkham Asylum, she also married her doctor and settled down to help him raise his two sons. Still wealthy Gotham bachelors are being poisoned and robbed in ways that exactly mirror Ivy's old crimes. The attacks take a personal turn when Dick Grayson is kidnapped by the mysterious assailant. Is Is Ivy responsible? And if so, how can Batman prove it? What are your thoughts of House and Garden? House and Garden was a f- interesting one, only because it was keeping me guessing a little bit. I figured Ivy had something to do with it, but at a certain point, I'm thinking, who's this husband? We've never seen him before, and maybe there's something going on. Maybe there's a little bit more sinister or something sinister going on with him. Maybe he's trying. Maybe he's brainwashing her. Maybe he's manipulating her powers. Maybe there's a Stepford Wife thing going on. I didn't know. And by the time you get to the end, I'm like, oh, it's. It's just, but yeah, no, it's, I, I, uh, I thought it was an interesting, just an interesting episode and in how they went about it because it kept me guessing till the end, which was, I'm not used to with these episodes. Usually they're very, very, you know, what's going on. There's no real hidden, nothing real hidden. I didn't know if it was, if the husband had anything to do with it, which I kind of liked. It was, it was smart writing. I really liked the ending of it because. She loved having a family. And I like that. Yeah, I did find interesting that when she was going through her photos and she had like you know her family. But then there was always there's also pictures of Harley Quinn in there. <laughs> that uh, still keeping those seeds alive, you know, you're just putting all of them there, just like, oh no, she she loves all of her time. And then comes back in the in the two episodes from now, the first name out of her mouth. What about Ivy? So yeah. I mean, like she she, you know. It's her and Ivy, the happiest times when she's not with the Joker, with not with Mr. J, or with Ivy. And it really yeah. shows. So, And obviously, Ivy feels the same way because she, she's got pictures of Harley Quinn. So it's like, so she's having a tear and a tear falls on, you know, the family. But not before it also falls on Harley as well. <laughs> like, okay. I like that, though. I do, too. And I like, I like that Poison Ivy. I mean, okay, I don't, the only thing I kind of, I like the progression that they went from babies to the husband, from the husband to the creature. And I like yes. that. And that, that did, it didn't last long that, you know, she has so much, but there, there is a problem with this. So therefore, but in a way I, I think Ivy quite liked that because every day was a new beginning for her. Yeah. We, and, it's, it's, it's much like a flower. You grow, you grow, you bloom, you die and you, and you, and there's a rebirth. It's Uh, because she said said that they they accept me for my crimes and they love me for it anyway. And of course, you would if they're only if they have like a short lifespan situation. Giving giving her plant people or plant babies growth hormones so that they wither and die quicker. It's there's a lot something very twisted about that. But also, I mean, like I don't know. It felt like something out of a video game level. Like mm-hmm. more, more so, more so than anything that they've had in there. Just like, all right, here's the, like, God, they, something out of like the Arkhamverse. Like they, they grow these spores and they'll attack you and you become mind controlled and, and something like that. I dug it a lot. I, I thought that it's also the look of the creatures. They were like these weird cactus looking uh-huh. monsters that kind of look at, like a cactus Hulk. With like almost, bear paws. 
with <laughs> AirPods. No, I think AirPods. <laughs> and rip, but the ripped pants and the ripped shirt were very similar to the Hulk. Just, just enough, just legally distinguishable, so that they couldn't get sued. But yeah, I'll give it a cactus hand and a Mo hair and a Mo Howard haircut. But I thought it was really freaky with the babies being born out of the pod. Yes. So that was kind of odd. That was kind of. I, I that even that took me back a little bit. I'm like, where where are we going with this? This is this is weird, but it, very cool. I dug it, but yeah, definitely a weird look. Kind of remind me of Audrey too. I mean, it's a little shop where the faces come out of the pods. You know, after you the faces come out of the pods, it kind of remind me a little bit. But it also remind me of an old movie from the '70s called, which is based on Dean Coote's movie book called Demon Seed. Okay, where basically Julie Christie is held captive by this mega computer machine that locks her in and impregnates her. And then the, then the computer, and then she gives birth to like this computer child, which is she, it's a very, I mean, a very weird 1970s along the lines of, you know, the Andromeda strain. It has that kind of feel about it. I hadn't, I've only seen the movie on TV once when I was younger. And I, I, to be honest, to this day, I, I kind of need to buy a copy and rewatch it because it still haunts me to this day. And it might be really shit, but it, but the, I just remember the baby coming out of this computer pod thing. And it kind of reminded me of that. And why I kind of like, <laughs> like that's I mean, a demon seed. I, I said before, demon seed could be a really bad movie. I just remember, I just remember it because it's something that was on network TV back in the seventies. I want. Wait a minute, Demon Seed. I want to say I have seen it. It's part of this video game that was done by what the hell is his name? The guy from Rick and Morty who just got canceled. The the he added this video game where they have movies that were licensed by Vinegar Syndrome. Tammy and the T Rex was one of them. I want to say, no, not Demon Seed. Demon Wind. It was Demon uh, Wind, not Demon Seed. Okay, Demon Seed sounds interesting though. This sounds like like a fascinating movie. I gotta check out. It looked a lot like the drama to strain. It has that kind of, from what I remember, that kind of feel to it, where a lot of white on white, okay. you know, like, I guess, Stanley Kubik's Clockwork Orange, or, you know, when they're you know when they doing the rape, everything was like white on white, kind of, yeah. so, or 20 or 2000. THX, I was going to say THX. THX is miles. Mm-hmm. I had that feel about it. And I remember her being captive, and I remember her being seminated by the computer. And then I remember the baby being born. It had like this weird computer voice. And the baby came out like as a like an eight-year-old. But it was, it was very, very weird. What but year this movie come out? Me, but it did remind me of this episode a little bit. It's like, this is, I don't know why. <laughs> you said this from the, the movie from the 70s or the 80s? Yeah, it was called, um, it was, it was called Demon Seed. I can't remember who else was in it. I know the book is written by Dean Coots. So actually, this is the beginning of Dean Coots's career. It came out in 1977. 77, yeah. Yeah. Dan Dean Coote, Julie Christie, Robert Vaughn is the voice of the computer, Lisa Liu, Barry Crodger, Larry J. Blake, and Garrett Graffin. But it's basically a, a one-woman show, basically. Yeah, it's a newborn born. And basically, it's basically just her trapped in this house. And, it's, you know, it's quite sparsely looking and stuff like this. Yeah, it looks like it, it was released on DVD in 2005. A Blu-ray was released in 2020 by HMV and their premium collection label with fold-out poster. Who knows? Maybe I should buy a copy and just... I mean, it's got to be pretty cheap. I can't picture it like doing anything. But 
Oh, you get to you get to experience the joy. Don't forget to bring your your player over to the to the U.S. and buy an adapter. The joys of not being able to find any good phys- physical media in this country. Mm. You're gonna have to import from Australia, as I have been doing lately. <laughs> well, I have. I mean, the reason why I'm taking my Blu-ray, my Blu-ray is quite small, actually. It's smaller than the Xbox and thinner, of course. But it's but it's a multi-region. Yes, that, see, that's the thing. I've been looking for a good multi-region player. For myself, Sony, it's very, very good. I think it cost me 50 quid on Amazon. Not bad at all. Yeah, it's got, you know, HDMI, you put the HDMI in it, it it plays it through the sound system, everything that you need it to do. Great sound, great thing. The only thing is, is that you have, you know how you have the red, blue, red? Yeah, the RGB, the RGB, yeah. So basically, you know, you press the yellow one for region one, the second button for region two, the third one for region three, so on and so forth. Um, it's fine. You just got to make sure you hit that button before you put the, before the disc goes on the machine. And then it, okay. it. if it okay. does, it just goes not, uh, not region. So you just have to eject, push the right button and then it goes. But the only problem I find is with DVD sometimes is that I have to change the ratio on my television screen from, or a 4.3, if it's a 4.3 TV thing, you try to widescreen it automatically. And I don't know if that's because it's region free, um, but Blu-ray is not a problem. It automatically goes to the right, the format that it needs. What, I, what I'm noticing with the DVDs, because I'm going through and I'm, I'm backing up a lot of my, my older ones. There's some four by three letterbox ones that are just naturally cropped because it, it was an anamorphic widescreen when they pushed the disc. So for those, yeah, you just have to adjust either your TV or your PlayStation or whatever your player is to full frame and it'll fill the box for you it's, it'll stretch it stretch the fill it's a pain in the butt for the most part sometimes a little bit too much yeah sometimes you get yeah because i remember when those dvds first came out before widescreen televisions the widescreen tvs are just coming out but dvd was slightly ahead of that so you had these things that were just letterbox <laughs> so i thought they were in a four by three so it's like it's a square within a square and, yeah, yeah. and it's a tiny tiny little baby square I, uh, right now, I'm, I'm dealing with that with a lot of my movies because I there's a series on JoeBlow.com on on YouTube or JoeBlow on YouTube called Movies that it, basically it's movies you want to remaster, but it's yeah. like, oh the best best movies you haven't seen. The reality is we have seen them. Best movies that are in it, it, it's movies that you want to remaster, and the one that they brought up was and I actually own a physical copy of Ricochet. It's a action movie starring Denzel Washington and John Lithgow. Yeah, I have a copy of that on DVD. I have a copy of it on DVD too. And I uh, I wanted it because I have a video editor. So I wanted to see if maybe I can stretch it up a little bit or maybe I can clean it up a little bit because it is, it is sad that certain movies are not getting any love whatsoever. And I don't know if it's just because too many people own the rights to it. So it's an illegal nightmare to get it done. Some people just don't see the value in it. It is one of the best John Lithgow is crazy movies. He, he's done, in my, in my opinion, John Lithgow has done three performances where you think he is the greatest movie villain of all time. You, you can't take your eyes off him when he's on screen. He may not be, there will always be better, but when you're watching it, you're just locked in. Raising Kane, the yeah. uh, Brian De Palma movie. I have that. Ricochet, where he plays this psycho hitman, mm-hmm. and, his, and his turn on Dexter. I think his, ter- yeah. ter- his, his turn on Dexter, those three, you cannot keep your eyes off him because he plays crazy psycho better than anyone to the point that you're like, oh, this man, I think that the whole nice thing is really an act and this is the real guy because he plays it so fucking good. I'll, and, add, uh, I'll add one more to it. 
Yeah. Um, Brian De Palma's Obsession. Oh, Brian De Palma's Obsession is a good one, too. Yeah. Oh, it's a cliffhanger. Like, cliffhanger, too. With uh, Rennie, Harl- oh, uh, Rennie Harlan's Cliffhanger. Oh, I yeah. About it. I forgot he's in Cliffhanger. I love Cliffhanger. I do, too. The, the thing with the... I just remembered. I saw the scene, the uh, stunt going from plane to plane. <laughs> I forgot he's in Cliffhanger. It's funny because I don't remember... That's weird because I Everyone remember forgets cliffhanger. I remember Papa Walton and cliffhanger, and I and I always remember Sylvester Stallone, but I always forget about him. He plays. He's such a sweetheart in everything he does. That when he plays, he plays these villains. You're just so taken aback because he does it so fucking good. But Ricochet, yeah, I that is one movie that I'm like, I want this thing remastered, if only because it is a secret sequel. Not many people realize it's a secret backdoor sequel to Die Hard. Not it's written by uh, Brian D'Souza, and at the very last scene of the movie, I forget her name. She's she's a great actress. She's in all these action movies of the eighties. She played the reporter in Die Hard. She shows up. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah, so, um... as Gail Wallace or Gail Wallace or Gail Wallace. She shows up as that character. At the at the scene at the end of the movie, basically confirming, yeah, no, this this is all in the same world. It's so. yeah, but she was mermaids. Something about mermaids always singing or something like that. Oh, what's her name? Yeah, Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen. Something. Mary Ellen. Mary Ellen tra- Trainer. Trainer. Mary Ellen tra- Trainer. I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing I remember uh, Ricochet being is Lindsay Wagner as well, Bionic Woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was. Uh, she. It's a great turn in it, actually. She mm. shows up in a male locker room. Everybody, oh, just tell me what you usually do. The little, I, it feels weird calling you the frigid, frigid ice queen to your face. Mm. But she's a, she's a, she's fun in that. Denzel's great in it. But yeah, there's, I forgot how I got on this movie. But yeah, that, that's one of those movies that just deserves a little bit of love. And we need to have more movies like that. I, I'm one of the movies I want on Blu-ray that I want cleaned up. The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau with Tony Randall, George Powell. That's a good one. One of my favorite all-time films. I can watch it over and over. But, I mean, I have the DVD, and I'm happy with the DVD, and it's widescreen. But it doesn't really pop. It just looks like it's looking and it's put it on DVD. And it, you know, I mean, at least the sound's good on it and stuff like this. But... You know, just Tony Randall playing the, you know, the seven characters and, you know, Barbara Eden looks beautiful. And then you have all these old time character actors in the background, peppering everything through. And that's, so the thing about, that, that's the thing I'm looking about. Even the worst, like not even the best movies, they have these shots. You see them in 4K and you're just like, God, this is just gorgeous. This is absolutely breathtaking. I just got the 4K set for JFK and you just said uh, little details. I haven't seen the movie in 30 years. When I did, it was on HBO, so didn't look the best. Now you're just seeing how gorgeous this this whole the whole thing looks. Oliver Stone, I mean, what happened to him? He you know, it's weird with Oliver. Too much conspiracy theorists. I think he got chased out of the country because of some of his. I'm not chased out of the country, but he just got too deep into it. I know when he interviewed Putin, that put him on a lot of. Li- I don't know if that put him on lists, but I know that that didn't exactly. He's not any worse than Michael Moore. That's or yeah, that's the thing. He's not worse. It's not any worse than what Michael Moore did or when I mean, uh, this... Sean Sean Penn went to interview Castro. I mean, it's, it's like people interview dictators all the time. I mean, it's it is what it is. But um, I think we had, you know, we had what's his name? Oh, I can't think of their names now. <laughs> when they did the North Korean movie, that everyone goes up and up. Oh, the 
the interview. <laughs> yeah. Fun fact. Fun fact about that movie: I don't hold ill, 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 Ill any ill uh, feelings towards the makers of that movie. My, I, I got my data hacked because of that. Because Sony had a video game on their service called DC Universe Online, and that service got hacked because of that fucking movie. And I got some one <laughs> one my data stolen because of that shit. Fortunately, you got that cleaned up, and I and I got it scrubbed. But it was just a fucking nightmare because of that. I had to just say though, the story the story behind the interview is a lot more interesting than the movie was. <laughs> yes, the movie. I I want to say I've seen fifteen minutes of it. I've never. Oh, had, on, I think it's on Netflix now. It it's is. On, it's on. Yeah, I think it, it's on some streaming service now. Netflix, Netflix picked up the rights. They basically said, eh, "Fuck it, we don't care about the controversy. We'll air it." Well, I was quite shocked, only because. There seems to be some controversy about James Franco at the moment. Well, I don't know if it's well, true or not. I don't. Care. Well, he had met. Well, he was a teacher at I think NYU or Columbia, one of the uh, one of the two RDU acting schools, classes, teaching acting classes, Being inappropriate, seducing oh. his students and his teachers' aides. Yeah, yeah. There, he's he's kind of been. He actually got chased away out of Hollywood for a while. I don't. He's trying to make a comeback. I saw that he was doing like. I want to say he was doing a biopic for someone, maybe even Castro, actually, just to tie it together. Well, I think personally, if you if you have a if you have atonement, then you should be allowed to come back. I, I mean, I like James Franco. Movie. I like James Franco as an actor. I do too. I was I, more I, shocked that mainly, mainly it was women because I really thought he swung both ways because he kind yeah. of gave gay vibe a little bit. <laughs> he does. He does have a little bit of a. Some undertones in certain certain appearances. I honestly, you know what? Well, I, I even done this post before he got exiled. I mean, it's like very. Good. I mean, he was. I mean, I, he was. He was following me on Twitter. He was and, and some of this and then and, and, and he's, uh, people he was following. He would send like a personal message. I mean, he's sending it to everyone. It's not personal, personal, but yeah. you know, to people he was following. He would send. You know, you get this thing into your inbox, and you're like. Okay, he's <laughs> a bit gay here, but and you know, before anyone sits there and goes in there, I'm a gay man, so I can say this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of gay. So, but it's very odd. But he's you know. a, yeah, he's an interesting cat. But I'm with you. I mean, like, if as long as you make atonement and your crime wasn't a horrible, horrible thing, I it's. I, yeah, give yourself a second. You should be well, it is seducing people, and people are lo- and people are going along with seduction. That's a little. Bit, that's a little bit different than being forced. See, that's the thing. If it was a, if a it was a weird line. If there were, if it was a power thing, and he's putting and he's using his power to do that, that's horrible. If it's a mutual thing, he shouldn't have still taking advantage of the situation, but it's a mutual attraction. I don't, I, say, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think, I mean, I kind of, I, I kind of feel that it depends on the power play. If, they, if they're, That's they're, the thing. Yeah. If they're promising you something. Yes. And, and you're going through the sexual process to get what they're off, what they're promising you. Yeah. I think you have to take a little bit of responsibility yourself because obviously you want something out of this transaction. So, you know, I'm not sitting there saying that the victim is guilty. I'm saying the victim has to take a little bit of responsibility here. If you're forced, if you're forced into the room and then someone's forcing themselves on you, that's a totally different thing. That's completely different. Absolutely. 
But if someone's seducing you, and, and to be honest, I there are some movie stars that seduced me. I'd probably be more than willing to be seduced by them. <laughs> I'm just saying I would, you know. Fair enough. Some people I probably wouldn't be too thrilled at. I mean, only because, you know, I don't find them attractive in any kind of way, you know. But there are other movie stars that... I'm sure if I was seduced by them, I'd probably be a bit more willing to go along with it because of who they, what they look like and who they are, maybe, situation. And then, and then if it doesn't go anything past the first night of sexual conquest, I probably wouldn't feel slighted because I think I would look at it in a realistic form of view of what you're in. Yeah. But then again, if I'm sleeping with someone because I don't want to pass an acting class as well, I mean, I mean, I, I it's, it's this really, you know, there's all these thin lines that you have to kind of look at situation. He, I mean, he's just on the surface, you get an honorary teaching spot at a prestigious acting school so that you can pick up chicks that if, if you just look at it on its base level, looking at the story, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad news for him. And I'm like, eh, I, I'm with you. Any worse than a, um, a rock star sleeping with their groupies? No, it isn't. And but at the same time, you're not teaching them. And those, st- uh, it's weird. It's I'm I guess, you, I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at it is that, and this is no disrespect to James Franco's acting. Okay, but yeah. what are you really getting out of the class? <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly Lee Strasberg, is it? No, no, I, I, I get what you said. <laughs> what, what are you going to teach me how to do? Yeah, you were in Pineapple Express. You teach me how to be high all the time. Teach me how to fuck up the Oscars. You know, it, it, it's a bit like taking a you know a directing class from someone who directs TV soap operas. No, nah, I got gotcha. you. You know, but if the directing class by Quentin Tarantino, and then that's happening, I can kind of more I can understand that more. But I just don't think that having an act, be, taking an acting class with James Franco as your teacher is going to really get you that far in your career. No, it's not. It's it's one of those things with James Franco. He's gotten to the point where, mm. you know, he reached a certain point. Now, even whenever his name is brought up in interviews with uh, Seth Rogen, Seth Rogen is like, yeah, I can't work with him. Just mm. I can't. Sorry. But we all know what's floating out there. I can't work with him because of it. I'm like, well, you don't get that level of honesty usually in, the, in answers. But yeah. Nah, I think it's a bit of a shame a little bit as well. So yeah, I can, yeah. the thing is, is like, I can kind of understand it by using your power, but at the same time, if his power is being used on you, you, I think the victim has to take a little bit of responsibility because he wasn't pu- pushing them up against the wall situation. It's kind of like, because yeah. I think they wanted something from him as well. Yeah, I think, um, I mean... So is this weird transition? Should it happen? No. But are both sides completely innocent? No. 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 So and that, that and that was so when we get to situations like that, that's the reason why I kind of have to. I kind of look at it as like, if you if you if you put yourself in a situation like that, you have to take a little bit of responsibility for bad decision making on your part. But at the same time, this person shouldn't be doing it to begin with. But I think it, but there's got to be some shared blame here going on between both parties a little bit, because if you don't do that, there are real cases of real shitty things that people do to each other, whether it's 
well, the rape that we that you talked about earlier with the wrestling team, that or or you know, indefinite president basically like I'm going to rape you, or you're going to lose, or you're going to have sex with me, or you're going to lose your job, and those kind of situations. Sometimes I think some some of these other things kind of make those other issues a bit too cloudy, and those other issues shouldn't be cloudy. They need to be, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, Lord knows, majority of relationships form in the workplace. It happens. I'll, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but yeah, majority of the relationships in the yeah, states, they yeah, they form, they form wow. in the workplace. I work at a I work at a restaurant where flat out, if you start dating one another in order to avoid any potential conflict, they'll just transfer you to another restaurant. They they have a couple in their chain. They're like, look, we, we can't risk it. If two chefs started dating and then they break up and they have to work together, we don't want the awkwardness. We're just going to separate you two. You can well, date. It's fine, but we're just going to separate you two. I, I grew up on a farm and excuse my language, but my mama told me this, that you should never <laughs> shit where you eat. I believe that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, Believe me, when I first started, get, when I first got in the, re- the restaurant industry, you know, nearly 15 years ago, it was like the Wild West. And the, f- the first 18 months, everybody was just, uh, it was, it was just fun drinking drugs and orgies and having fun. And then yeah. after a while, you get to the point where like everyone's going their separate way. We have to work with each other. We got, we got to do, we got to keep, <laughs> keep the same here. And well, the funny uh, show thing up, is that show up, have fun, go home. The problem with relationships, anyway, is that. They never break up evenly anyway. When love is gone, there's always one left holding on. Yeah. But I know with my relationships and stuff like this, and I'm friends with everyone. I've been in I've been in 17-year-old relationships. I've been in five year, a five-year relationship and a 12-year relationship. And then I've had people that, you know, I dated for a month or two here and there situation. But I've always remained friends with them. And I've always... And I've always taken accountability for when they didn't work out, whether it's they cheated on me or I cheated on them or whatever the situation is. But I've always taken responsibility for my part because it takes two people to break up and it takes two people to get together. It takes two people. And there's my side, their side, and then the truth in the middle somewhere. The problem is, is, but at the same time, I've never, whenever I've broken up with anybody or they've broken up with me, I get. I take our mutual friends and I give them the mutual. Here, you take the mutual friends. I don't want anything to do with them because they're the ones running back and forth anyway, creating more of a problem. But, but I always find it that I never got other people involved in any of my breakups. Or you know, I've never dated anyone I worked with. But at the same time, I've never even the people I work with that have nothing to do, you know, are not friends of the other half. Or my friends who have nothing to do with the person I've broken up with. I never go into details about my breakup with anybody, you know, because I think it's like, and I think what we have, I think what we have with breakups is that people don't break up responsibly, you know, you, and, but, but then again, I mean, I work out a little bit different because I date guys and I think dating women sometimes can be a bit problematic when it comes to the breakup because nothing's worse than a woman's scorn. <laughs> So maybe, so maybe there, maybe there's a bit of a difference here because I know that women tend to indulge things a lot more internally, where men are a bit more external about their feelings. And this is not, 
this doesn't mean that one's better than the other or anything like that. But because what sometimes I think is things are taken in more internally, that sometimes you have to work through that in a more vocal manner with all those around you. So maybe that's maybe that's where the problems sort out. But I guess I always find it a bit odd that I could work with someone I broke up with and just broken up with and still and still keep it very professional. But if I'm working with some, uh, but I've been in relationships with people I, I have dated people I have worked with, I guess, but never gone very serious with. But I always, when I went home, it's like, but when I was at work, it's like they didn't exist. (laughs) I got on better with people, other people around them. And because I didn't really talk to them at work, I only talked to them at home. And when I talked to them at home, it was nothing about fucking work anyway. So, so I kind of had to, I had these little rules in my head for stuff like that, or, or even people that you know, you know, I've you know had a really close friendship with, that I've worked with, but and then something happens and it's kind of parted ways in whatever ways, you know, you know, we have one person on the podcast who doesn't do the podcast anymore because he started working where I worked and he got a bit funny after he started working at the place, but you know, he made his decisions, I have no control over how he feels or anything like that. If you ever want to keep in contact, you know, it's got my number and I'm not, I don't have anything bad to say about it. Other people are, other people are saying stuff, but like, <laughs> it's his decision. It's his life. If that's what he decides, it's what he decides. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Now there's other people's little inputs. So it's kind of like, I was like, well, did that, didn't they tell you? Or did I go, no, he had his reasons. If you want to know his reasons, you can ask him. But it's nothing to do with me, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's probably why I think people kind of need to be able to break up reasonably and not try to get everyone involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. No, it's it's your breakup. It's not everybody's breakup. I mean, they may try to, well, I, I have so many memories of you two together. It's not. That's you. It's my relationship, my life. Well. I think other people tend to feel. I mean, another thing is, I think if you get other people involved, people like other people's drama, and they'll they'll string out that drama just as long as they don't have to deal with it themselves. So they'll like, you know, he said, she said. I mean, nothing's worse. I remember when I broke up with Mandy. We were together for seventeen years, and I remember one of his our friend called me up and goes, "No, no, no, I'm so sorry." You know, like, and I, you know, I, I spoke openly about you know the pain and how I've hurt. And then she, I hung out from her and then she obviously called him because Mandy called me and goes, what did, why did you say such and such? And I think that only spoke to one person. It's like, this person's running back and forth. Nice. <laughs> so I said, and I just said to her, I go, listen, I go, she called me up at a week time. I go, I didn't say anything. I go, I didn't say what she said to you. I just sit there and said that we broke up, that it was mutual, that it's hard for me because that was unexpected on my part. But, you know, but if this is your decision, I have to respect it because I'm not going to hold on to something that the other person doesn't want. And that's what I said. And she went back and sat there and said that, I, you know, that I did this and that he did this and that. And I go, that's not what was said. And he goes, oh, OK. I go, I go, I tell you what, I go, you can keep her as a friend and you can keep all her mutual friends. I got my friend. I, I'm fine. What about our friends? You can keep. I, I've thought about it. You can keep them. 
Yeah, Sorry. keep the mutual, mutual mutual friends are the ones you need to get rid of. Get rid of the mutual friends because the mutual friends will take a side. But but before they take a side, they'll go running back and forth to the side which side benefits them most. So I've I've been picked in divorce in 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 many divorces. I've been chosen as a friend. I'm like, oh, I'll take I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, I'm like I, I'm property. I'm like the dog. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to, you know, but you have to figure out which one, which person that you feel most closest to. Well, that was the thing. At a certain point, the la- last time this happened, I was friends with one person first, met met the other one through through them, became better friends with the second person than the first person, and eventually, when they broke, when they broke up, well, I've been hanging out with the second person and their friends a lot more often than I have been with you. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Not personal. Well, relationships are like, you know, the tide, basically. It's like your tide comes in, you're friends, and then um, the tide goes out. And for sometimes you get carried off to the in this direction with the tide where, you know, where before you were quite stationary on the beach. You just never know. So sometimes, you know, your, your, your personality tends to sometimes align with the other person that that brought you other than the person that brought you in t- to the meet the other friends. And sometimes your personality ends up aligning more with the new friends that they t- introduce you to than with the original person who knows why that happens. There's no rhyme or reason behind it. Yeah. So. And on that note, I think this brings us to the terrible trio. The terrible trio. <laughs> Three wealthy boar friends decide to seek new thrills by becoming master criminals. As the fox, the shark, and the vulture, the terrible trio pick Gotham clean until they encounter the one person who cannot be brought who cannot be bought off, Batman. Oh, what are your thoughts of the terrible trio? Well, just seeing who played the shark, and he looked because I'm like. This guy looks like his voice, but I couldn't place who it was. Peter Scolari. There's one animated character in this episode who looks exactly like Peter Scolari. And wouldn't you know it? He's played by Peter Scolari. I like this one because it didn't have your typical villains. The Terrible Trio is is a famous Batman villain group. They've been around, I want to say, since the 60s. I could be mistaken, but they've been around for a while. They, I like the idea of one, one's a master of the sea, one's the master of the land, and one's a master of the air. They're all wearing different hoods. One's a fox, one's a shark, and the, the vulture is the final one. Oh, Hector Elizondo played uh, Sheldon Falbrick. Ah, cool. Oh, I, uh, I do too. This, But it was a really solid one because you get to see Bruce kind of dealing with his socialite friends. And the fact that the villains are the socialite friends, Hector Elizondo's daughter, what's her name? Rebecca. She is trying to, uh, she's more of the rebellious daughter. She's attracted to Bill Mummy's Warren. He plays the fox. And he, whatchamacallit, they, the way that they play off each other, it's it, it's very, the so it's funny. They, all the socialite friends, they all see that Bruce is the boring uptight one that doesn't really fit into their gatherings just probably goes home and goes to sleep that type of guy and meanwhile they're they're the rebels they're going out there and as the episode goes on 
Warren's demeanor gets more and more menacing. It starts off them committing a crime, and while they're making their escape, they detonate a bomb and it blows Robin into the ocean. They get away. From that point on, everything escalates and escalates to the point where he's getting more and more unhinged, decides we're going to rob from our friends. We're going to you know, kidnap, kidnap my girlfriend so she can't get away. She's too much of a liability. Uh, let's try to kill Batman because we've escaped him twice. So clearly we're feeling invincible. But meanwhile, the two others, the vulture and the shark, they're like, I mean, it might be going a little too far in a few places. And they're starting to sense the menace is getting there. So it was a little, I, I, I thought it was decent for what they were given. And I liked the idea of, all right, we're seeing that the, the rich and powerful are also starting to get a little bored. And they want to start knocking off criminals or, or knocking off or committing crimes and robbing people while, while wearing masks as well. I think what I also like is that even though you have the fox, the shark, and the vulture, I like the idea of the fox fitting the stereotype where he's quite sly sneaky and then of course when he gets cornered that's when he starts coming out and biting and it's, it's only because that's it's when he gets cornered that's when we get this the alternative you know all of a sudden this is when he becomes menacing and i thought that was quite clever in the writing of it i did find i did find a missed opportunity because even I mean, I'm not quite sure if they were spending beyond their means. Is that the reason why they were stealing money? Because he goes, oh, okay, I'll pay for, you know, oh, you know, because she's like, oh, daddy's going to be upset when he gets the credit card for my dress. And and he, he goes, oh, don't worry, baby, I'll pay for it. Situation that causes them to steal from the, the, the father to pay for, you know, to pay for the dress situation and give the idea that he's, he's going to support her and pay for theft for her. But I wasn't, you know, because I wasn't quite sure because then they go, oh, we're just doing this for fun. But this is coming from him at this point where actually he's been cornered. So I'm wondering if their trust funds are not supporting them in their lacks of luxury. And that's the reason why they're stealing, because it kind of a limit. It kind of pertains to that at the beginning. Yeah. But then when he gets cited, it's like, oh, we're just doing this for fun. And then the, I think the most telling thing I found about this episode is that let's get rid of the money. And they throw the money in front of a Broadway opening. And I thought to myself, like, and you know, oh, look, they're throwing money and they're going towards it. It's like, well, it's not like they're going through the poor area of town throwing money. They're throwing money at a Broadway opening, which they're normally, as you know, if you want Broadway tickets to go see an opening, you know, you're looking at about 150 to two, 150 to 500 plus pounds a ticket. So they're not going to be really poor people sitting in line there. <laughs> So, so they couldn't even get away with the Robin Hood theory. Like, oh, we're stealing from the rich and giving to the poor scenario situation. So, but so I found that quite interesting in its own self. I think that they're just bored trust fund kids who found themselves just like they keep convincing. They're trying to convince themselves that no, we're doing this for fun. We don't need this. We don't. Need, we're just that this is what. And then eventually, you get to the point paying five thousand dollar credit card bills for your girlfriend. That yeah, maybe maybe you do need it. You, you might be onto something there. Yeah, because I think it's um, because it, it when they said it though, this is just a situation. But it was kind of like after she found out it was them, and this kind of just was their defense. Oh, um, don't worry, we're gonna give all the money back. And that and that that right there, I think that's when I realized is like actually they're lying because well, they, maybe- they, they said nothing about giving money back to anyone that they were. To be doing. fair, maybe maybe it's Peter Scolari who he, he was the one. Whenever there was any issue 
whenever uh, Warren started breaking out, Peter Scarley, he played Gunther. Whenever Gunther started, he started like trying to calm the situation. He actually said, well, you're going a little too far here. It seems like he maybe, and even then he got pushed out of the way. It was uh, Armand who, who, who tackled her or held her in place. It, maybe he was starting to realize this is going a little too far. Maybe maybe he looked at it as, you know, we're, we're, we're doing things. We're, we're just, you know, having fun. We're rich kids. We're getting away with it. We can do whatever we want. And at the end of it, Warren, even he's this like, I get the best justice money can buy. Not so true, but it, he, in his mind, he believed that. I think honestly, in Gunther's mind, at least, he was thinking, no, we're just having fun. Aren't you taking it a little too far? And then at some point, it stopped being fun, at least for one of them. I think that Warren was the ringleader. I think yeah. he was bully. And I think the other two were along for the ride. Yeah. But I think um, Gunther didn't really. I, I think the other two were more aligned than what Gunther was. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and I, I think sometimes you do get that in a, a trio anyway. You get two that are more aligned, and, and then you always have like, well, three is a crowd, isn't it? So, yeah. So I think exactly. that I think it's I think it showed it off quite well. Situation. Um, yeah, There's a solid. I, I mean, I do think that the girl with the you know her father and uh, you know, I think that she could have been a bit more sympathetic to what happened to her father because it was almost like, oh, we're, it was almost like oh. You know, this happened to my father. So, what does this mean for me? Yeah, she did not show much guilt or remorse at all for any involvement whatsoever. That, or you know, it's she when she's confronted by uh, Warren about it and everybody, it's like, oh, it's not like you liked your dad anyway. There wasn't a denial. It was just, well, he is just my dad, and then then we move on from it. So, yeah, precisely. So, I got to my feeling that's like. It's almost like they could have included her in on it, and she probably would have gone for it. <laughs> yeah. feel to it. So I thought it was quite interesting the way that was written and the way that they were able to portray that. So because it gave it a lot of more layers than what it should have had. Because on surface, it doesn't seem like it'd be that layered, but when you watch it, there's a lot of layers going on, which I quite liked. Oh yeah. This brings us to our last episode called Harlan Quinade. The Joker gains possession of an atomic bomb, which he uses to threaten Gotham City, forcing Batman and Robin to form an uneasy alliance with Harley Quinn in order to stop the clown prince of crime. Harley leads them on a madcap hunt through Gotham and eventually into a deadly showdown where Harley is torn between her promise to help Batman and her twisted love for the Joker. So, Sean, what are your thoughts of Harley Quinade? Harley Quinade is great. This is one of those episodes where uh, I love Harley spotlight episodes. And this is a great one where the, the Joker steals a nuke. And that's a horrifying thought in its own right. And the premise for numerous video games, actually, I think that's (laughs) how I think it's the, uh, how injustice begins, but basically, yeah, the Joker steals a nuke and everyone's freaking out. Like, okay, the Joker's got a nuke. What the hell are we going to do? Let's bust out Harley Quinn. Let's take Harley Quinn out of jail, team her up with Batman and Robin, 
and have her help trying to find the Joker. You, there's a lot of fun that can be had with just that premise alone. And the joke, Harley, she's in her element. It's a really strong Harley episode. She's yeah. making jokes. She's pushing buttons in the Batmobile. She's dismissing Robin. She's do- It's all these little things where you could tell she's having fun. But at the end, that same abusive relationship rears its own ugly head, and he can't help, and she can't help herself. She has to keep going back to the Mister J, even though he was going to detonate the entire city and leave her behind because he didn't have enough time to rescue her. Ah, no, 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 don't worry. And was going to detonate all of her friends, all of their friends, including Ivy and Two Face and the guy with the hat. <laughs> I, you know, it's seeing. Harley and Batman interacting and just kind of teaming up and Harley out going through those momentary lapses of goodness. It's quite amusing to see. I don't know. I just, it's always funny to me whenever Harley has that crisis of faith and realizes, Oh, maybe I could be the psychiatrist. Harleen comes out and she, and she's just like, what are you doing? Harley stay away. We, we, we look at what all the, you went to, you went to medical school. You're a doctor for God's sakes. You know, so I love that aspect of it. And you do get to see that a little bit. I also like with Harley, though, and this is what I love most about her character as well. There's a method to her madness. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, when she goes into that mob room and, you know, before she does her fabulous Baker Boys number. <laughs> the, the, but, and you think, oh, she's turned on Batman. But the thing is, she did it because Batman needed information, which Batman was able to get information about. Because of it. So she wasn't turning on him, but she had to put him in that predicament. But you never know what she's up to. And so, and I like that because it keeps you guessing. It's like, and what I like about Harley the most, and whether it's in, you know, when her and Poison Ivy go on their, you know, road spree that we saw, you know, last month or this one or, and other episodes is that there is a method to this madness that seems very mad and off kilter and what the hell does she do- think she's doing? And then you start thinking about it. It's like, actually, she is actually so much smarter than everyone else around her. It's kind of scary. I mean, she, she is a licensed therapist. She knows what she's talking about and she could probably you know, d- dissect anyone mentally if she really wanted to and put any, it's just uh, the love of Mr. J and the, the love of all that clouds her judgment. But I also think that, and this is where I think the Suicide Squad and movies get her wrong, because I don't think they really understand the character of Harley Quinn. I think... uh... Because because she's... I mean, I have to sit there and say that the Gotham Knights, you get Harley... I got as far as Harley Quinn, and Harley Quinn, actually, they, they see... There's a the method of her madness is very well portrayed in that, which is probably the first time in a computer game that is actually kind of portrayed quite well. The game's not brilliant, but for that one moment, you're like, okay, here she is. And I find like in the Suicide Squad, when we get Harley Quinn, she's kind of like there, there's there's something missing in her character that we that we get in the animated series that makes her a lot more compelling and a lot more interesting and a lot more. You know, it's you know we're watching an animated character, and when she feels upset, we actually feel upset for her, even though when we we excuse her, 
For everything there's, that she does, we still excuse her. There's a and, sympathy in her eyes, the way she's drawn. There's she's got she does have Disney eyes in certain shots when she's not wearing her mask. There's well, when she when she, her one of her finest moments here is when she's sitting in the Batmobile and he's having a go at her and she's mimicking. <laughs> he looks at her and she's like, "What?" <laughs> well, she oh yeah, there's plenty of moments like that where you could just you she's kind of an avatar and for the viewer and God, it's so much fun. She's she's very fun in this episode. It's it's one of the better Harley ones that we've had so far. And that, I, yeah, it's just very bizarre because. She was even supposed to be thought of as twice. I mean, she was just brought in because it's like, oh, let's give her, let's put her in this one episode. And now we're watching this character evolving in front of her eyes, which the animated series does did fantastically well. I mean, there's a lot of other characters that they turned into these evolving characters. If and I and I have to say, out of the live action and I do feel Harley Quinn's probably more represented in her TV series that she has at the moment, the animated TV series she has at the moment. Oh, God, yeah. And I'm just kind of wondering, it's almost like who's ever writing the scripts in Hollywood for Harley Quinn's character in the Suicide Squad. And and apparently, I think coming out with a Harley Quinn movie, there there's talks about it, whether it surfaces will... An animated film or... I think they're talking about a live action at the moment. So what I've heard is... Well, Margot says she wants to move on from the role and have somebody else pick it up. They're probably going to do a Harley vehicle in the in James Gunn's DCU. I don't know anything about it. They haven't really said I mean, anything. They have sister to do it, probably, because they're probably <laughs> interchangeable, aren't they? <laughs> I was going to say, who would be a good Harley in DC in James Gunn's world? But but honestly, I think that whoever he gets, it's probably going to be a little down the line. He, his Batman movie, I think is just starting casting. I know that the guy who plays Jack Reacher on the, on the series, he's kind of campaigning for it. He's a decent actor. I don't know. I, I, he, I want to say he played Aquaman on Smallville uh, way, way, way back in the day. But, uh, yeah, but he, I, to be fair, I like Reacher a lot. I don't know how much of that is him or how much of it is just it's an action movie. It's just a Schwarzenegger action movie in, in modern day. And so it's simplistic enough that I like it. But he if that's kind of, I don't know how much of a Harley Quinn movie is in is in the works right now. I do know that Margot wants to move over or move on from the role. And of her three appearances are four, technically. Was she? Wait, no. Yeah. No, wait. She wasn't in uh, the Snyder Cut. Never mind. Of her three appearances where she's done the role, I think James Gunn kind of got it the best. Yeah. I I, I think that because, but also she was also in her own separate movie for a good chunk of the movie. She's like married to a dictator or a dictator wants to marry her. And yeah. it's like, and she's be like his Ovita Perone and all that stuff. And it was, <laughs> it was just very weird. I think I think they do. I think she does okay. I just think, I just think there's a lot more to her. That I think that whoever writes for this character in live action, I think they need to look to all the character, all her characterization. Because I mean, she started off in the animated series, and I think that's what they need to go through. Look at every character and how she evolves and what she becomes, and she does become something by the end of the animation run. That unfortunately. In later episodes, like the Batman and other animated things that moved on, they 
kind of lose her a little bit. She doesn't. She's not as prominent as in the anima, this animated series version that we get. And I think that they really need to look at her and want and follow these episodes along because she is a character that she can fit. She could become goddess level. So oh, absolutely. He, if put in the right suit. And at the moment, I think what they do is they have an idea who she is, but I don't think anyone's done the research of who she is. And that's what we need is someone to do the work, do the research of who she is. And and I think through the Batman animated series, that's the only way you're going to do that because I know that comic books have kind of ran off with her and stuff like this, but see, this is her, this is the birth of hers here. And this is where she grows. And this is where she becomes how she becomes. So you have to look at this and what other people have done with her. That's fine and dandy, but they have to keep this centralized version of her in order to build upon what they're, what they're trying to build upon. Paul Dini mentioned that he considered 48 hours as inspiration for this episode. And it's her, it's a perfect analogy for it. It really is. Eddie Murphy. She is Eddie. She is Eddie. Nick Nick Nolte. I'm just, I'm just picturing Nick Nolte is is Bruce Wayne. That he'd be a good one in the Dark Knight re- if he did the Dark Knight Returns. Nick Nolte, grizzled Bruce Wayne, you fucking asshole! I... If they ever do Batman Beyond, he make a perfect Bruce Wayne. They, I, you know what? I, they were going to, and then the Flash bomb. It was going to be Keaton. They were they were building towards that Kevin Smith idea that he just said, just put cast Michael Keaton, do a Batman Beyond movie, and take all the money in. And that's a free idea from Kevin Smith. And they tried. They put him in the Flash, and the Flash bombed. That, and then they canceled Batgirl. By the way, speaking of delayed movies, I just want to say fuck David Zaslav for what you're doing to your to the Coyote versus Acme movie. This pisses me off. They are officially shelving it. They they're, they're taking a tax write off on it. Why is not, Warner doing this? I it's really I'm how much they are they, they had, more more money on the write off. So apparently, I mean, they're like the producers mil- now get Mal Blanc's producers. They get, they're getting thirty million from the write off. Apparently they weren't, they, they said publicly that they were going to solicit offers from other studios. They never did. That was all bullshit. Other studios were saying, we'll exhibit it at South by Southwest. They never responded. Other studios are saying, we'll pay you 40 million, 10 million more than what you'd get in your write-off. They were looking for 70 to 80. No one was willing to offer them 70 to 80. So they said, all right. Apparently Zaslav never even saw the movie. The DeLuca and the other person in charge they saw a director's cut that's that's the only version that's been seen people who have seen it say it captures the original tune of looney tunes better than anything it's an exceptionally great movie using one of your ips that has been with you literally uh, god hundreds almost 100 years at this point it's it's one of those things where it's ridiculous why you would do this but they're billions in the hole they're absolutely billions in the hole and they're trying to do whatever they can that's the reason why Batman the Animated Series is on Amazon and, and HBO. Or that's why it's on these things. They're they're trying to do whatever they can. They're, See, they're teaming up to do streaming services. It would make more sense. They make more money just... Let's sit there and say it doesn't live up to par. And that's very yeah. possible with the Batgirl. I mean, we've seen enough superhero movies that haven't lived up to expectation. That's, that's not too surprising. But to just shelve it... Because it to me, it just feels like 
Remember have, to you be seen, really... have you seen Mel? Have you seen Mel Brooks the producers? The whole thing, yeah, of course. For our listeners out there, is basically they decided they want to they decide they can make more money with a flop than they could with a hit, so they do this Hitler musical. Spring time for Hitler, Hitler. in Germany, <laughs> a huge flop, so that way they can make more money off the insurance. Yeah. So, but you know the thing is, if they're making thirty million on a movie that they're spending eighty million on, they're not yeah. making money. So, would it make more sense to put it through a streaming service, whether Warner has their own streaming service or Peacock or Hulu or Netflix? They, they feel that they will. So if they spent, so it's the thing. If they spent eighty, they they put equal amount into distribution. So that's they're you're at one sixty, and then you got to make about one and a half times that in order to break even. Because after all the distributors, so they're looking at it as all right. We've already dropped eighty. Let's just cut our losses rather than invest all this again. We'll just take we'll we'll t- take a fifty million dollar loss. Take thirty million and and do it. It's what they did with Batgirl. It's what they're doing. They did with the Scoob sequel. Apparently, it's it should be illegal. This should be illegal. I don't know why. It gets, I mean, you're, it's your property. I get it. You can do what you want with it. I get it. It's your money. I get it. But you said in a legal filing that you were going to explore selling this thing. You told this to your investors when you had no intention of doing so. One might say you're lying to your investors, and I don't own stock in Warner Brothers. But if I did, I'd be pissed because if anything, I'd take if you're going to take 30, last time I checked, 40 million is bigger than 30 is more than 30 million. And people are offering you 10 million more than what you would make through the federal government. Sell the fucking movie. Okay, and take the. But take would it also make, but would it make more sense? Let's sit there and say that. Let's say Batgirl is a horrible movie, which is possible. Yeah. It, does is have, it does have this feel of that Batwoman TV series for some reason. I don't know why, but it does have that feel to it. It yeah. might not. Who knows? But let's sit there and say that it's just god awful and horrible. Wouldn't it make more sense to just go Netflix? You do it because the thing is, you don't have to market it. Netflix will do the marketing for you. Yeah, exactly. Go on a streaming service and then I'll go to the next streaming service and go to the next streaming service. And after about five to 10 years, you'll probably make your money easily. My guess and, is. Um, and because you're making your money, because the thing is, what we know about bad movies, let's take Howard the Duck, it's probably one of the worst movies, but it has a fucking fantastic fan base. <laughs> it still makes money, even though it's a bad movie. It's the duck tits. It's the duck tits. You, you watch the movie, you see the duck tits, people and they love haunt it. you for the rest are, of your life. But there are people out there who still love it. There are people that <laughs> off the Blu ray. There are people out there, I think they're coming out with a criterion or something like that version of it. There's not a criterion. There is a 4K. I do own the 4K. Blu-ray. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, the Blu-ray sold so well that there's time for a 4K. And this is a bad movie. And it, well, I mean, James whether, you, and whether you like it or so. not, it's, it's besides the point. But there's a market for Flash Absolutely. Gordon. It's one of the worst movies ever. But there, are, a lot of people love it. Oh, God, know? yes. You know? I, and, love, I love a good bad movie. I tell everybody. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm, I, know, I have a lot of movies that are quite bad that beyond the valley of dolls is one of my favorite all-time favorite movies i love it i've seen it so many times i have the blu-ray i have you know i have the soundtrack album i have a t-shirt if it was out but there isn't every time there's something coming out with you know you know 
from one of the characters from it, whether it's Erica Gavin or Michael Blodgett, or I have to read it. I need interview. I have to look at it and I love it. And the thing is, just, and it does sell well, you know, um, you know, the DVD so well, the Blu-ray did extremely well. I mean, cause there is a market for this stuff. So I don't understand why you're, why you're cutting your dick off, I guess is what a thing is, because it's like, what is going on at Warner that they don't realize this? Because Honestly, not everything has to be a mega hit. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, a single, it's not a, a music single where it has to hit number one as soon as it comes out of the gate. It's a film. And we've all know through the course of a hundred years of filmmaking that there are films that freaking bomb that are well beloved today that are making more money today than they ever did. And there's money that were being big, big blockbusters that are not exactly turning the money through today. You know, E.T. E.T. was great at time. Watch it again. It's like, God, this has got up. Dirty Dancing. Great at the time. Look at it now. It's a, period, I mean, it's a product of its era. It's just a product of its era. And bad movie making. That's what it is. In the case of Zaslav, I think what happened was a couple of months ago, it came out that he was going to delete this movie. And that's the thing. It's not just shelving the movie. It's deleting it now because it's content and it's all digital. So it's going to be deleted off a hard drive and just be forgotten. But it's, I think what happened was he wanted to get rid of this movie and everybody called him out on it. He got embarrassed publicly by the media. So they said, oh, we'll look into selling it. Let the heat die off for a little while. And then fuck it, we're deleting it. I'm never going to watch this piece of this in his eyes, this piece of shit. I'll never watch it. I don't care. And because he got egg on his face. And so I think that's what happened because he seems like a vindictive prick. I don't know him personally, but every interview I've seen, every, every logical statement that he's or illogical statement he's made makes him come off like, no, you sound like you're a prick. And it just is in this to raid companies and sell off their assets. Mm. So it, which, you know, Hey, Corporate America is what it is. The thing is, there might be some people in this movie that you'll be watching something else that they've done. Jake Johnson, I like him in The New Girl. And because I like him in The New Girl, I, you know, I looked him up on Wikipedia and I started watching other stuff that he's done because of that. And, and yeah. he, he's done some shit and he's done some great stuff. You know, he's done some he's done things where he's only in it for five minutes. So I watched a whole bad movie just to see five minutes of him. But and there are other actors that I do that with. It's like, you know, oh, I'll, you know, see them on something. It's like, oh, they look good. Oh, and I'll look up Wikipedia. It's like, oh, look, they've done this. So I'll start watching other things they did because I start liking them, which means it's money in their pocket. Whenever I'm streaming it or I'm renting a for 369 for a high definition copy or whatever, or buy a heart, you know, disc or whatever it may be. But people, that's what people do nowadays. You know, thing is they, you know, they watch something, Go on Wikipedia. What this person's done? Okay, I'm gonna watch something else that they've done, and it makes some money at the end of the day. And yeah, they might not make. It might not be instant gratification of making all the big bucks on a freaking weekend, but within a year or two, you probably will make your money's back and probably will turn a profit. Especially if you sell it to us. I said before, I know a big budget for films at the moment seems to be marketing anyway, where there's film posters and film trailers, so on and so forth, and all over the place. But if you sell it to a streaming service, they'll budget, they'll market it for you, and people people will catch it that way. I mean, look at the haunt. The haunt did shitty business, and now it's the number one movie on freaking Netflix, and it's an okay movie, but 
That's a, I still do not understand the logic of the number one movie on Netflix. Again, and everybody's watching it, but the choices that are that are selected each week, I see it, I see it pop up on my Microsoft feed, and I'm just like, eh, what's gonna? What the fuck? That really? That's number one? Just some forgotten movie from 2007 or some action movie that I, I remember when it came out. A couple, I would say, like a couple of weeks ago, Priest or or, or was it Legion? Some crappy religious action movie with Dennis Quaid and not Jude, not Jude Law. Is it Jude Law? I, I always get oh no, the guy who plays Vision, whatever his name is. I, I always get Jude Law and him confused. But yeah, uh, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany oh, yeah. is that he plays he plays I think Gabriel the Fallen Angel, yeah, and I, I remember seeing it. I remember seeing it in theaters and and then like forget just completely forgetting about it and then like a month ago the number one movie on netflix this forgotten religious uh, what the fuck are people watching is it a collective hysteria i don't well, you know what I, I know what i think it is is because when you're sitting at home i mean i watched i watched the haunt because it's like it's number one i'll give it a shot i met and the thing is once i start watching this is, I mean, this is about the haunt that's quite funny is that i saw this movie before didn't realize it until I was watching again. I actually seen this, <laughs> but I, but it was on. And the thing is, I was on. I was, you know, I think I was sending some emails out and watching it. Situation, and it's like because that's you know, and I, you know, it was. It, I mean, it's okay. I mean, there, there's been, there's a lot better films out there, and there's a lot worse films out there. So you know, you know, so I can't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to tear it to pieces because it's not god awful, but you know, but it's not the best thing I've ever seen, but. I think when, you know, especially with horror films anyway, and with action films, they're always going to hit number one on a streaming service because let's face it, when it comes to a drama or something a bit more, you know, let's take the excellent one about Leonard Bernstein out there. Oh, uh, Maestro. Okay. Yeah. Maestro. Now that's, that's, that's an excellent film. I haven't watched it yet. I am going to watch it, but I do put this off because I know that I want to be in the right frame of mind to watch this. But if it's a horror action or superhero movie, I could just put that on in the background and I can watch it and I can I, I, mean, I can either be doing other stuff or I'll just sit there and lay on the sofa half comatose and I'll watch it. No, I'm the same way. It's just something you could just easily digest, put it on the background, look up occasionally, continue your work, and then yeah. I and that's get what back. Warner could be doing with Batgirl Scoop and, and Acme for, uh, okay, very uh, easily. But for whatever reason, they said, no, we'll just take our $30 million. We'll take $30 million here, $30 million here, $30 million here, $30 million here. And they just start writing off these projects. This one, I, I don't know. This one, I think, is the last one because it seems like a lot of people are very – Batgirl was one thing maybe because it looked like crap. This And they, and they did, did need to work on it. This movie is apparently done. Done, done. No more work needs to go into it. And end is getting great reviews and great scores through test audiences. Do they, so every there might be another reason why this is happening. If they're at a total loss and they're and they're recouping a loss year after year, yeah, is it because they're willing they're they're getting ready to sell up and be owned by a bigger conglomerate? That is the thought. So that's the reason why a lot of people think Zaslav was brought in because that's kind of his specialty. Does Disney want them? Because that way Disney could have Fox and Warner. 
Disney is in the midst of a hostile takeover right now. So who I, I they they're dealing with their own shit. Uh, this wow. Nelson Peltz and Elon Musk, they're teaming up to try to get investors to, and they keep buying up lots of stock so that they can do a court. Disney's downfall is becoming going to too far down that PC thing, which I think, as I said before, PCism is an excellent tool. If it's not used where you're pointing and throwing your fist at people, you got to do it a Twilight Zone way. You can stick it in your movies and just have it there and people will get, get you know, figure it out. You know, as soon as you yell at anyone about anything, people's minds shut off and that's what happens situation. But if you put it in there subliminally, people will get your message. <laughs> so, you know, whatever message you want to put in any movie, just do it subliminally. And trust me, people will pick up on it, you know? <laughs> That's well, I mean, from what I understand with Warner Brothers, they when they were originally owned by AT&T because AT&T owned them and they offloaded a lot of their debt onto Warner Brothers and then sold Warner Brothers. Okay. And then when Warner Brothers merged with Discovery, they now have all this DirecTV AT&T debt that's been now that's been carried over. So I there's so much in the hole that I want to say they were banking on The Flash being a box office hit. And the reason why they were hyping it so much is because they needed that movie to be a hit so that they would have a marketing budget for this year for their movies because they invested pretty much a good chunk of this year's marketing budget into The Flash because the pandemic wiped them out so much. Thankfully, Barbie hit, so that, that gave them something. But The Flash and everything else is really hurting them. I and mean, Dune not coming out till this, getting delayed till this year. Definitely. Well, Dune, wa- Dune wasn't a huge success. It made better on the streaming service where it kind of started recuperating the interest again, but I don't think it did very well at the cinema. Did it? It did better than expected because of the pandemic situation, okay. because the did a lot better. And a lot of people are very hyped for it. Either that, or they're just very horny for those po- uh, popcorn containers. I don't know. Hey, have you seen those? Which ones? The, the popcorn containers, the Dune popcorn buckets. Yeah, it's it's got the giant worm in it with with the teeth as as so you stick oh, your okay. hand through the worm. To, to say it's very fleshlight esque. Oh, okay. And, so they go for the marketing. <laughs> oh, it's. I want to say Saturday Night Live even did a joke about it, saying that people want to fuck their hot their popcorn bucket or something like that. It's 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 very ridiculous. <laughs> you see it. Well, I mean. I watched the original Dune. I mean, not the not the David Lynch Dune, no, but I've, the, I saw the the I saw the, 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 the okay. Oh. I thought it was fine. I didn't think Did I didn't mind understand the under a lot. Yes, yeah, mine too. <laughs> could, could I could I could I done with an hour and a half of it cut out? Yeah, at least forty five um, minutes to an hour for me. But yeah, I'm with you. But do I am I super psyched for the second installment? No. But if it's on a streaming service, I probably will watch it. I don't know if I'll go to the movie theaters and see it because I don't know if it it warrants me to spend X amount of money going to the cinema unless I go to an afternoon half-cut performance of it. <laughs> and I don't want to be rude here, but I mean, cinema tickets are at price at the moment where it's like going to the theater. I love going to the theater, but I just won't go see everything because money is very tight with everyone at the moment. So if I'm going to spend money going to the movie theaters, 
it's gonna, I gotta make sure I don't, I, I don't, I no longer have the luxury of spending money at the movie theaters for a movie that could be horrible. Yeah. I want no. something good to excellent. You're taking time and you're taking too much money at this point. Every time I go walk through those doors. So I, I need to make sure not, I don't need to know the movie. Don't need to know every detail, but I need to know, is this going to be good or is this going to be something where I'm going to, I'm going to know I'm going to be regretting watching this and wasting my time. Now, to be fair, I watch a plenty of movies all the time that I, I know too. going in are a waste of time. And I have a lot of fun doing so. But at the same time, you got to be in the right mood for it. And if I'm going in blind, it's not going to work. I mean, I have uh, so far the movies I've seen most hyped. I have been the most flabbergasted with. And I watched the Barbie movie, for instance. Uh, I was hoping for Barbie from Toy Story Barbie than the Barbie I got. I wanted kind of a sassy kind of Barbie. And I kind of got this. I don't you know. Got, I, 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 you I got Malibu Barbie. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't find it very enjoyable. I mean, it, I, I wanted it to be funny. I kind of, you know, I wanted it to be Barbie like the Brady Bunch movie. Oh, OK. I got you. You know, where you I, got I, in the real world. The height, and, well, you kind of got that. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit more. You got that without you got but it with Gosling. You got a more Brady movie's done in 90 minutes. And it gets this message across and you're laughing and everything like this. And it, it, and you walk out of there and you're really enjoying it. Even the very Brady sequel, which didn't do as well, you still had fun with it. This one, I don't, I mean, I just, I think they could have got, I think, I, I, I believe in the moral messaging that they're trying to portray in it. But I don't think it needs to be hammered over and over with me. Because I do believe what they're saying is true. But at the same time, it was an hour and 50 minutes of sermoning uh, without, and the fun was kind of gone out of it. The, the Kens were boring. The, you know, and I, I think her performance is excellent. Don't get me wrong. I thought her, oh, yeah. I do kind of wonder when I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I remember watching it and texting Vicky, probably which is the wrong person to text. I go, when was there a paraplegic Barbie? <laughs> And be- there are Barbies of every type, Keith. Every shape, size, creation. And, that, and that's fine as well. I mean, there, I don't have a problem with that. But I, I don't know. I kind of just wanted, like, you know, she's anyone Barbie. could be Barbie, and, and that, Barbie and, can be anyone. Yeah, but I don't think that's. Just, I don't think that's the. You know, I mean, that's if we look at the Barbie brand. I mean, well, she's a dim-witted model, basically. You know, and you know, and trying to make her this intellectual property. I mean, I guess, I mean, I think, I, I think, I think it with a different director's hand at it, like Betty Thomas or some of that, ill, I think we would have something a lot more fun and a lot more enjoyable. And, and this is nothing to take away from the performances. I think the performances are all okay. I don't think, but. Or Greta Gertwig's direction. I thought her, I didn't, I didn't have an issue with her direction. I thought, I thought that. Uh, maybe it's a script. I just didn't. Maybe. Maybe I didn't. I didn't. I'm. I. I wanted to watch something that was just really fun and funny. I don't, and I don't I, know the huh? it, the camp, the camp of the beach, the big beach fight at the end, and all that stuff. It when it was starting to lose me, it got me back numerous times in the movie. The 2001 reference in the beginning killed me. Helen Mirren as the narrator when she chimes in to just say. No, to people. If you're gonna cast this, this isn't gonna. This line isn't gonna work if you cast Margot Robbie. I thought that was one of the best 
fourth wall breaks in, in a movie I've seen in years. I, it I has just, great. You know, it had great nuggets in it. I agree with that. Yeah, it did. It did. Oh. I, 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 I kind of went with you. Just as a whole, it didn't do it. Do it kind of remind me of Earth Girls Are Easy. Wow. You know, it had them. I had brilliance in it that not that long ago, and so I've seen parts of that recently. I kind of feel that's a harsh judgment. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see what you're saying. What I, I, I meant by that is that as a whole movie, it, it yeah. falls flat, but there are some really neat, fun chestnuts in it. Okay, that, that gives it a bit more fun. But as a whole movie, it just that movie's just. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it should have been like a half hour TV show or an hour TV show, maybe. But for whatever reason, there are parts in that where you're kind of going, get on with it situation, and then well, and then then something funny happens, and then it's like get on with it okay. what was it two hours 15 or something like that or two hours or it was yeah it was a little too long i it think ryan gosling good. was wrongly cast in a weird way i don't know why i don't know maybe, i love him. i love he's him perfect. he's perfect in the role i think he's perfect as it because i i, he, I love him but there's something about him he's got this um he has amazing comedic timing maybe it just maybe because he was a musketeer or not he was a musketeer or a disney kid or whatever yeah but he He's he's been in the business forever, and he just has that that timing, and he knows how to play these goofy characters so well. But everyone's used to him being the brooding <laughs> guy, the the dude from Drive, or the dude from uh, the Notebook, or is somebody that always the brooding guy. That when he play, like I want to see this movie with him as the stuntman. It looks hilarious, mainly because I know he could poke fun. It just had, or the movie with the the Shane Black movie that he did, the the, the other guy or the nice guys. That movie is hilarious. So he can he can tap if he taps into that, he's he can have a whole new career ahead of him where he'll, he'll just be doing great comedies for the next five years. I mean, I love Ryan Gosling. I think what I think the only thing that and not, not it wasn't his acting. I think it's the blonde wig that didn't quite suit him. <laughs> okay, and, I can see that. And he'd done something weird to his body when he worked out because I was looking at him and I was like going. If he had the, I think if he had the body that he had in, um, what's the one where with Emma Stone? Oh, uh, the Notebook, or no, no, uh, the uh, uh, La La Land. No, he did one. Um, he did one where basically he's dating her, and she's like, he's like the perfect man, and he's got his shirt off, and she's it's a, it's a, it's a romantic comedy kind oh, of. Oh, I, I know the one you're talking about. It's, Julianne it's Moore like, might be in it. It's like a Love Actually type movie. I, I, I just, I, it's not Love Actually, but it's like a Love Actually. I forget the type. Of, it's one of those type rom coms. Yeah, I know and the I, one you're talking about, but yeah. But I think I don't know what they did, how he jacked his body, but it kind of looked a little bit more. It looked kind of, I may, but then again, it could all be post production as well, maybe. Also, I mean, he's getting older, so maybe the way the means of doing the getting the muscles aren't as natural as as they once were. Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, I just kind of wish that they probably didn't, maybe they, I think maybe they could have not taken themselves so seriously. I think that's probably was, I was looking for just a really fun laugh, a laugh, a riot movie. And I kind of got a laugh every 15 to 20 minutes at that. So, that's fair. you know, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens when it, you know, now that's got for, you know, some Oscars. Crazy Stupid Love is the one I'm thinking of. Crazy Stupid Love. Okay, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. Steve Carell was in it, I think, and a few other yeah. people, yeah. Julianne Moore, Kevin Bacon, and Marissa Torme. Um, so that's the one I was thinking of. And you know, and then you look at him there and that kind of that would that character that he played in that would have suited the Ken 
probably a little bit better as far as looks go. And I, and I really think that by me, a brown haired Ken would probably suited than a blonde haired Ken. He's not a good blonde. <laughs> well, I think he was, be- yeah, he was beach Ken. So, so he's got the beat. He's got the blonde beach do and the surfboard. So yeah, I got you. Though. I didn't realize there's a lot of different ethnic Kens either. So I thought that I was a bit surprised that I don't know I, much about Barbie world, but yeah, I didn't I, remember my sister's Barbie and basically, yeah. <laughs> It was all, whenever I was a kid going to Toys R Us, it was always once I reached Barbie, I went too far and I had to go to uh, one aisle back to go to my action figures. Mm-hmm. So uh, but I always remember almost like, oh, there's like 600 different Barbies and all that, all different jobs yeah, guess, and everything. So. I guess what I kind of wanted in the Barbie movie is also is it would have been nice to have some crossover like G.I. Joe show up or something stupid like that. And they could add G.I. Joe as the real masochistic, you know, you know, not the masochistic, but, you know, the, the misogynistic. Just up and it would have worked really funny. So apparently, yeah, G.I. Joe is part of the Hasbroverse, which is now, which is now in the new, the newest Transformers movie. The newest Transformer movie ends with a post-credit scene where they, hey, we wanted you to join up. Here's my card. You look at the card and it says G.I. Joe. So they're continuing those two up and eventually bringing in Mask and Power Rangers into the whole world. Transformer movies, I'm surprised that they're still going. They're still as popular. So I I, ne- I have yet to see Bumblebee. I, everyone tells me it's amazing. And I've heard that the last one is really good. It seems like now that Michael Bay is away from it, they've actually kind of uh, captured some of the magic of the 80s. So that's good. I'm, I'm uh, happy for it. I saw the last one. It's just like a prequel. Yeah. And it does have like Transformer King Kong type character in it. Yeah, um, they were doing Beast Wars and stuff. Like I, yeah. The the okay. last two, the Dino Wars and the Beast Wars, I'm, we're getting to the point where I don't remember them being in the cartoons, but I do remember the cartoon or the commercials that sold me the toys. I, I had already moved past the show at that point, but I'm like, ah, okay, Beast Wars. That's how they keep reinventing the wheel. I mean, the reason why I watch the Transformer movies, and this is totally off the cuff, but there's a show on Netflix about autistic people finding love. Okay. I've heard and of this. It's excellent. I mean, the thing is, I'm not, you know, find, you know, these people and they're trying to find love and, you know, you really warm to them and, and all the autistic people in this series and that really, are really into the Transformer movies is like, you know, and there's, there's this one guy finds this girl and they start dating and they're both into transformers so they so through their whole interaction to talk about transformers like so after that i was like oh i need to watch the transformer movies and i enjoy, and i enjoy, i haven't seen bumblebee yet but i did see it because I, I remember the two megan fox ones and i watched those back in the day so and i didn't realize there's so many of them i didn't realize they were still going because they kind of fell off my radar so I never, I saw the first one. It was kind of like a cultural event. It felt like as uh, everyone's childhood came back. The second one I never bothered with. And then once I heard that the actor, the acting or the, the writer strike was going on and Michael and Michael Bay rewrote the entire movie himself in order to get um. through it. But he did it from the basically looking at the first movie and just taking the script and changing locations and spots. So it's basically the same movie all over again. Like, and it's yeah. a fucking, his late body yeah, yeah, is not in the third one, is he? The third one, Megan Fox doesn't come back. Well, she had she her problems with her Twitter. She had her problems, well, she had her problems with Michael Bay because he was basically saying, like, yeah, yeah, they were getting in their pissing match with right. everything that happened on the second one. 
the third one I had to see because they filmed it in Chicago, and it was okay. one of the first. And it was one of the first times that they went. We got the whole Michael Bay a theatrical experience in Chicago. So it was such a big deal. They're blowing up, they're blowing up all this stuff, cars, skyscrapers, they're putting all that stuff. So we're like, all right. And the entire, and once we heard the entire last hour was going to be the battle for Chicago, we're like, all right, biggest screen we can, let's check this out. And the movie sucked, but that last hour was fun. If you're a Chicagoan, I don't know how it is to people not from Chicago, but if you're a Chicagoan, it's fun. I didn't bother with the fourth one. I just remember there was something about like there was somebody had a business card with like the law re- re- as it related to statutory rape or something. That's the only thing I remember <laughs> that I remember coming out of that movie was that was like the dude who got busted from what the hell Silicon Valley. TJ, um, yeah, that doesn't have a career anymore. Yeah, he had he was dating Mark Wahlberg's daughter. And she was 17 and he was in his 20s and he held held up a card or something like that and said, well, technically based on a based on a thing or something like that. That's the only thing I've heard about this movie that I can remember. And I'm like, that is the creepiest fucking thing. Why would we bring this up? And it's it's just like, why would you bring that up? Where, and where was Wahlberg and his family behind all of this? <laughs> I'm surprised that he get the whole he well, I think at that point the mo- the transformers started attacking or something. I never bought, like I said, I never bothered with the fourth. I just remember that being a relevant plot point in the movie it was was the fact that this one character wanted to fuck Mark Wahlberg's underage daughter, and then they did Bumblebee, which I never saw, and I th- there might have been one more in between. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, I mean Bumblebee's. Th- Sky, I don't. Sky is a broadcasting system, cable system here. Yeah, no longer go. It's no longer cable. It's all done through Wi-Fi now into your Sky Television. And they gave me Bumblebee for free, which I haven't watched it yet. So back in the day, so I mean, I I, I probably if I get time, I'll try to watch it before I fly out because I'm not going to be with Sky once I leave. So, but um, but the last one was okay. It was you know, I you know I I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed Jumanji with The Rock. Those two better films better, but I still I still it was okay. <laughs> I still I've still yet to watch those. I I they look fun. They look like a lot of fun. I when highly they, recommend. If you're into computer games, highly yeah. recommend. The but, Rock when he's when he's doing movies like that, like The Rundown, where they're a little bit more tongue in cheek, they're fun. When he tries to do a little too serious with the action, that's that's when you know the, the you're you're gonna have a bad time. Well. I think it's important that if you're an actor, you should know what your limitations are. So, I mean, he's learning. There are a lot of actors <laughs> that are better off in action roles. And I'm not, take, I'm not saying that makes them better. But then he's, again, a lot of serious actors I don't want to see in an action film. His next movie is going to be a real test for him. One of this, I don't, it's not the Safadi brothers, but one of the Safadis, I think Benny, is directing him in The Smashing Machine. The story of a very the well-known mixed martial artist who was major abuser of steroids and whatnot. There's a great HBO documentary about him. I don't want to misname him. I, I keep wanting to say it's one fighter and it's a completely different fighter. But it's it's going to be a interesting tale for him because of a his size, b I mean Mark Kerr, excuse me, Mark the Hammer Kerr, the the Smashing Machine, and this dude was huge. And died way too young, so it, it is. It's going to be an interesting test to see his acting range on that one, especially with a director like Safadi. So 
Just as long as he doesn't have to emote too too much emotion, he'll be fine. What are you talking about, man? He's got that eyebrow. It's, it's all the eyebrows. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's a bit like watching San, San Andreas. It's fine until he has to like show concern of his daughter who almost dies. <laughs> the the one the one movie I'll always go back to is Be Cool. When he was holding his own in the scenes with Travolta and Uma Thurman and and all those, and, and he was stealing the scenes from what the, what the fuck Vince Vaughn. And that it's 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 honestly, if you haven't seen Be Cool, check out Be Cool. It's a really underrated sequel that probably came out 15 years way too late. Yeah, yeah, sequel to Get Shorty, Chili Palmer goes into the music business instead of the film business and deals with all the eccentric characters throughout. And the whole movie was marketed around. He gets to share another dance with Uma Thurman, but the dragon, Steven Tyler, they brought dragon, a few rock stars and the rock plays a bodyguard to Vince Vaughn, who thinks he's black and acts like, and is a record rap producer and speaks with an accent that would probably get him canceled now. And uh, it, and the Rock is playing a gay bodyguard, and everyone was just like, "Oh, you're playing a gay role, aren't you?" Are you concerned? It's like, no. One of my biggest influences in my life it was Pat Patterson, a gay wrestler, and and kind of endeared him to Hollywood as he showed. Oh, wait, no, you're you're actually not you know, a homophobic meathead jock. You're actually a caring, sweet individual who who could take direction and actually knows what he's doing. So it, from there, he actually started getting decent. But then again, if he's in a movie with John Travolta, John Travolta's not very good with the emotions either. He's good at playing Chili Pop. He's playing. He's good at playing the coolest guy in the world. Yeah, but, yeah. he's quite emotionless, really. Or he can do. He can do a little bit of humor, whether it's Saturday Night, even like Saturday Night Fever. I mean, Saturday Night Fever when it gets like really bad. He, you know, he, there should be some sadness there. There is. A... Oh God, no! There's no remorse. <laughs> There's no remorse. <laughs> and the, the most remorse that character should ever feel is staying alive, but that's another story. <laughs> Tony Manera and Chili Palmer, they don't exactly have much that they look back on. It's just, They're very forward-thinking individuals, it seems like. Well, if you look at John Tavoda's career, where he doesn't have to display a wide range of emotions, they're always been his biggest hits. Anywhere where he has to deal with l- large emotions, whether it's moment by moment, or where he's playing Michael, the archangel, or anything like that, or he has to feel loss. Yeah. That, and when he has to feel sadness, that's when he kind of, that's where he tends to falter a bit. And The Rock is, he's quite good at being cocky, and he's quite good at giving, sent, kind of giving our sentimental speeches every once in a while. But when it gets to like where a tear needs to fall, unfortunately, it doesn't really fit into his toy box the emotions to play with <laughs> uh, that's what i think that's why i'm more curious than ever to see him being directed by safari because he, he he manages to push people out of their comfort zone in such a way that he, he me if if it wasn't for him i don't think robert pattinson would have been taken as seriously i i think what he showed in good times it kind of broke the it broke the uh, the vampire mold I, I knew he was a good actor it's one of those things where you know that there's something underneath the surface but when he got pushed to that limit in good times. You got to see, holy shit, there's something special here. Well, I think when you get with some of these actors who tend to play to the strength and never go beyond that, I think you need a strong director to push people. And but they're gonna have that director's got to be strong enough to control them, because as we've seen, there have been a couple directors who were able to do that with Robin Williams, 
and got one hour photo insomnia and we're, and got him out of those odd little voices that would appear all of a sudden out of nowhere yeah. in the toolbox. And, and when they were able to get not make sure that he did not do that world, according to Garp is another one that director did very well, but that was his first movie. So I don't think he realized that, you know, he didn't have to start playing to a template yeah. uh, because, you know, but when you get a director who's able to do that, you'll get, some, you know, you will get fantastic. I mean, my only problem with like Robin Williams' career is Good Morning Vietnam. He's excellent in it, but there's a lot of Robin Williams isms in there that kind of throw me out of that him a little bit. But it it does work within that that frame. Dead Poet Society is the one that I can't get into because you're watching it, and all of a sudden he starts doing a John Wayne impersonation, and you're like, yeah, you just you just knock me out of this movie now. As far as Good Morning Vietnam, I think that that was all for the trailer. That was all just to sell the movie because that's what the whole movie was marketed around was oh. Robin Williams as a DJ doing it because you can't really – because the story itself – I love Good Morning Vietnam, but the story itself it is worked. So, it worked. It's not a marketable movie, especially when Vietnam, post-Vietnam movies or movies told post-Vietnam were always about – that worked were always about an American going back to Vietnam to either free POWs or kill the the Vietnamese was all the post-war mentality, and it was the Rambo's and stuff like that, or a- action flicks. So when you have this actual good Barry Levinson drama with about a DJ right, being no. coming to boost the amazing film, but a DJ coming in to boost the morale of troops, and he's constantly dealing with all the bureaucracy and the red tape, and just says "fuck it," I'm telling I'm telling what really happened. It's a brilliant movie, man of the. I want to say, man of the year. That's a forgotten one too. It's, a, he re, it's another Barry Levinson vehicle. I, Barry Levinson's able to capture or at least calm him down enough. You're always going to have Robin, but I think Barry, because in that it was supposed to be John. St- he's basically playing John Stewart. He's hosting. He's hosting essentially what is the the Daily Show of or, or a version of it. Originally, I heard it was supposed to be Howard Stern, or Howard Stern always says it was supposed to be him. Howard Stern says a lot. I don't know how <laughs> Howard Stern it's says all a lot. He's all based on his vibe. Howard Stern says a lot of stuff. He also says he's playing Dr. Doom in the, in the Marvel Universe. So for all I know, the man just talks out of his ass. But he claims, and this is of all the things that he said, I'm like, actually, I could see that. There, there was probably a chance where I could see him playing it. And maybe that fell through. And so Barry said, well, I can get Robin. Because it is a very un-Robin movie, and it's dealing with like a voting machine. It's very, it's actually kind of relevant. It's dealing with tampering with voting machines, a celebrity getting elected president. It's it's a, it's a very yeah yeah. Uh, neither here nor there. Far off, the world, really is it? Yeah, no, just, just more like that. science fact than science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just saying, people. It's just a weird, weird coincidence. Well, Brian Levinson. I mean, what, I think what makes Good Morning Vietnam an excellent movie is that because when he's on the radio, we get his Robin Williamisms. When he's not on the radio and playing his being him playing a character that's not on when he's away from the radio station, yeah. then you get a real character. And I thought that was that's what makes that movie excellent. He's a hundred and I'd say he's at 110 on the radio. He's 30% Robin throughout the movie. You're always going to have a little bit of an undertone of Robin. He's going to be making jokes or him and him, him and Forrest Whitaker are fucking great together. Just their interplay in the trucks and, and just him playing off him. Just very, 
very very uptight very ah, love your stuff and then just robin going nuts joking robert wool too he's great in that it's one of the few robert wool movies where i'm just like not fully annoyed the entire time and even then he's playing a character who's incredibly annoying so it's it, it works it's i mean that movie it's one of those movies that's forgotten about considering what a huge hit it was at the time yeah it was, I, 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 it, it was up for oscars as well i believe it was the soundtrack Sold. I mean, I remember oh, in the record store, everyone had to buy the Good Morning Vietnam soundtrack. Um, Beach Boys, Louis Louis Armstrong. Kind of forgotten about, you know, which is kind I, of sad. I, yeah, I, it's one of those things where he, from that, he started doing, went back doing more comedies. His, it's weird. I'm finding a lot of weird 80s movies that I've never heard of that started Robin Williams and, and Robin Williams and Sean Connery, possibly, and stuff like that, that I've never even heard of. The Hudson. Well, I know Moscow on the Hudson and things like that, yeah. but, and he was doing awakenings. There was a time and, and, uh, that Penny Marshall did a good job of um, directing him on the awakenings as well. Cause that kind of, that kind of, yeah. a lot of the, I think of everyone, Levinson got him the best. I just actually found my old copy of toys and I was re- revisiting that recently. I, I go through it once a year. The only, and then of course, I mean like Popeye. Nolan, I think worked well with him as well. Nolan did well. Nolan has this way with his actors where he can just get you to just break you down to your emotional core of your character. This is all you need. And he was so chilling in Insomnia. He really is. And and, and by the time that he shows up in the movie, you, like you completely forget. Oh yeah, Robin Williams is in this because I mean you're so sucked into the movie and the performance that Pacino's given. And then he is just a sick puppy in that one. But yeah, that one hour photo, some of his, his movies that his straight to video fair later in his career is surprisingly decent. I mean, it's, he always gave a good, but I also think that for me, he always shined when he wasn't doing the William. I mean, saying that I love Mrs. Doubtfire and I, you know, I like yeah. the one, I mean, I do like when it calls for it. The only time I didn't appreciate it when it didn't call for it and they were slipped in there. It's like, Ooh. Well, we're just taking me out of character a little that bit. Is, that honestly, I think, I mean, I again, and this is just my speculation. I think that contributed to a lot of the depression. I mean, as, he, the man had Louis body, but I, 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 I think that the man suffered from a lot of depression from the fact that he couldn't not be Robin Williams. And the fact that maybe he was being asked to slip it into things. Just isn't so that, that what can... most comedians suffer from is depression, which is weird? Well, yeah. I mean, you're you're living out of suitcase. You're on the road. You're Richard all dealing, grappling with Eddie Murphy. Grappling with your... He suffers from a lot of depression as well. Oh, yeah, you're you're putting your insecurities and all your uh, out there on stage and making light of them for for the world to see. We know, uh, and we know it, Roseanne Barr has her problems. So, yeah. Uh, so it's kind of weird that all these comedians. I mean, I I have yet to. I mean, even like Laurel and Hardy or Abbott and Costello and all the old classic ones. I have yet to hear of a comedian that doesn't suffer some kind of psychosis with depression. That's well, the sad clown. Everybody, you know, you're just always you're always making everybody else laugh. Nobody thinks about, yeah, no one's and, trying to make you laugh. No one cares gotta, about the person making them laugh. And I guess you have to make comedy out of your life, and you can't make comedy if your life is happy and super and wonderful. I mean, Richard Pryor's greatest album is talking about how he burnt, nearly burnt himself alive while smoking crack on New Year's Eve and getting into fights with his wife. 
by the way, I, amazing album. My my dad passed it to me out via vinyl, and I've been listening to it every once in a while. It's it is one of those things you just listen to this, you're like, this would never work today. We'd all think about the whole crowd in stitches. Every but every word, every doesn't matter. Yeah, smoking crack, lighting yourself on fire, beating up your wife, attacking your car with a golf club, everything. Yeah, no, just it's horrifying now, but then the whole room in stitches. It's comedy through tragedy. If you got to, I, I, th- I, I think the worst, do- the worst part about it is all that stuff that's happened to him. It ha- has happened to other celebrities. Not not the whole, the, all of it, but, you know, the golf club, <laughs> the golf player. <laughs> Okay, this person, this other thing, the beating of the wife happened to this other celebrity. So he did it all. It's really the trifecta that's the funny part. Nothing is funny alone. But if you bring them all together, okay, this is just getting absurd now. Well, I think, I think what comedians had that they kind of don't really have today is if you look at Richard Pryor, even Bill Cosby, per se. Though his stuff doesn't seem as funny now that we now know things, but oh no, oh no, Robin Williams, Eddie Murphy, is that they would come on stage and for an hour and a half. Chris Rock has it as well. They'll come on stage and they tell you a story. Yeah, and you know it's a funny story. It's a story based on truth, their truth, their facts, but they weaved you into this. So by the time you finish, you kind of, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, when you see her live Broadway show, which do a Mams Madeley and whatnot. Yeah, I've, I've, I know that she, you know, where she plays uh, the four different characters. Yeah. And she just changes. She doesn't even change anything, just changes her body and does whatever. But then she did the reunion. I mean, if anyone out there buy the DVD of this, I mean, this is a mastermind. They're kind of, you look at her now going, what happened? We, this, could have been, you know, I mean, she, she does, she's had a good career. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from her, but when you take the color purple and you take it to her stand-up stuff that she started off with that led to the color purple and then where she's gone on from there, it's gone in a different direction than I thought it was. It doesn't mean it's a different, a, a bad direction. I just kind of would love to see more of that than what we have, what we've had gotten over the last 30 years situation. But you know, the way that they could weave a storyline. So, because now when I, I do watch comedy, the odd comedy person on stage, and it, and there's a lot of complaining about whatever their politics may be. And that's fair and fine. I don't mind that. But I'm not, you know, t- tell, I'm not t- being told the story. I'm being told jokes. Yeah. I'm not being led through the story scenario with you know this humorous story with a little bit of pathos in it to sit there and tug at your heart just a little bit at the same time so yeah oh. well getting to back to batman which we totally got off fight what was your favorite episode of this block of the four it's a difficult choice, and I didn't think it would be, because usually when I see Harley Quinn-centric episodes, and I'd go for that, but Avatar was fascinating. It it, it kind of crossed the movie monster aspect, Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, I love the relationship with Talia and, and Bruce. I love seeing that. The terrible trio got to see a interesting side, the more debutante 
side of 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 Bruce with the with the the high society and seeing how they interact and and just seeing that they have are just as ambitious. The Stepford Wives ask a bit Harley Quinn or excuse me Poison Ivy episode, and then of course our Harley Quinn centric one. Honestly, this is tough. I'd probably say Avatar. I think that I just love seeing Talia and Bruce together. And whenever I see them together, it just it it gets my brain thinking. I loved also seeing them riding the horses out into the desert. I think I, there's a that's a cool visual. And yeah, the whole it turned into basically a universal monster movie at the end with the with the Lazarus pit and the demon coming out of it. It was very cool. So I'd say that's probably my favorite with an honorable mention, Harley Quinnade, just because I love seeing Harley like that. She's a lot of fun. How about you, Keith? The only complaint I'm going to make here about all four of them is this is supposed to be Batman and Robin. I'm not saying I need to see more Batman or Robin, but Robin is kind of thrown in here. And he has some of uh, this incestuous relationship to help solve the crimes for some reason. <laughs> but he's not really in these episodes. So I don't quite so these all these all they still feel like they're still part of Batman the animated series and that and that the, the Batman and Robin episodes <laughs> these are like leftovers they were I think these were still I think they voiced these and stuff like this and they were being animated when the previous season ended <laughs> carried over so and from what I from what I was reading in the thing I think the terrible trio is technically the season four premiere I I think that the, I the, I th- which is weird because that one had the 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 Batman and Re- Adventures of Batman and Robin intro, but the last one Harley Quinnade had the had the regular Batman the the first intro. Two of them had the first intro and then on, but I want to say in my notes it lists the terrible trio as technically the season four premiere. Well, I mean, one of them is technically because the thing as I see it is like because I mean the opening credits are Batman and Robin credits. Yeah, but. And I'm not saying I need to see more Robin. That's not what I'm saying. But it seemed like, you know, House and Garden, which I'm going to name as my favorite of the episode because I love seeing the pathos of uh, and the, the emotional range of Poison Ivy and the sadness at the end really kind of captured me. But Robin comes in and he he went he was taught, so he knew he had daughters, so then no more Robin. This one, Robin went to school with them. No more Robin. Uh, <laughs> like, what? And and Harle- Harlequinade, he doesn't appear at all. No, he does. He appears on, he he appears on, on the video. He, and once he, 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 like he actually, and there's a great little, there's a throwaway joke. She's just like, so what What did she do before all this? Uh, she was a licensed therapist. Ah, figures. And I, I want to say there is a movie that came out in the last like five or six years called Batman and Harley Quinn. And where they, they revisit this and they do team up. I don't know if it's a sequel to this episode but there are a lot of callbacks where basically batman or where harley teams up with batman and nightwing and i want to say harley quinn hooks up with nightwing i I could be mistaken maybe this is just like something completely different maybe it's maybe it's the harley quinn series maybe there's some flirtation going on there's some flirtation but i want to say that they maybe i'm thinking of i know that she they had she had a relationship with in the suicide squad movie because there's a Suicide Squad Arkham movie that was supposed to be a tie-in to one of the Arkham games. And I know that she sleeps with someone on the team. 
I want to say the same thing happens with Robin in this in this movie too. But it's a similar situation to basically she, hey, we need to bust you out because something happened back in the day, and we need you to be on our team. So, yeah, yeah. The house and garden is probably my favorite, only because I we got we got to see. We got to see Poison Ivy open more past her environmental issues of <laughs> saving the planet. So we got to see her, but she does she does have wants, even though she might want them on her own time. And I I think what captured me most when she got her tear falling, and then she's like talking about you know the family that she just lost, but then it has a picture of Harley, and then it's like okay, I quite like that. I thought that little Easter egg was quite good. Harley Quinade second for me. I can't think of a bad one in this though. That I mean, that's pushing it really hard. But and yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to go for House and Garden in this instance. So that's that's. I mean, they're all. That's the thing. I like them all. Hard. It's just yeah, it's it is difficult. And the I mean, and I know that every, every week it's getting harder and harder for some reason. I don't know why. So that's the thing. I remember these episodes getting worse, but I'm like, this is getting more and more difficult to choose between them. I mean, maybe it's just at this point, I'm, I know what I'm getting, but I'm liking them more and more. I think when we get teeny bopper Robin and I think we're, it's going to be a bit easier. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm still dreading it. I know it's coming. I'm dreading it though. Thank God. I don't think there's that many episodes. Though, so that's a good thing. Huh? Sadly <laughs> enough. No. Well, this brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next month, we'll be covering our Batman series. We'll be covering the episodes Two Out of Joint, Catwalk, Bane, and Baby Doll. And, of course, next week, we'll be continuing on our Dark Families movies. We'll be The Return to Oz from 1985 and The Oz of the Great and Powerful from 2013. And our anthologies, led by Joe Randazzo, will be led off by Twilight Zone, the movie from 1983, and Night Gallery from 1969, starring a segment directed by Steven Spielberg in one of his first directorial debuts. And, of course, Doctor Who will continue with The Celestial Toymaker and The Gunfighters, which aired on the 2nd of April 1966 to the 21st of May 1966. And of course, Book to Screen, Once Upon a Time, will be mixing our mediums with Who Censored Roger Rabbit, the book by Gary Wolf, which would lead to the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit from 1988. So it's good night for myself. Good night, Sean. Good night, everybody. And we'll see you next week for The Return to Oz and Oz the Great and Powerful.
so all I ask is Men who find my energy threatening Whoa. Won't you show a little respect for me Yo. Generational trauma lessening Is my destiny, the universe blessing me Through the violence, this is how my legacy begins I will not be back in me your shit Cause I got cool grapes in the dish Suburban dreams, beauty routine. 